Yeah. He had some some Vietnamese to destroy or something like that. <laughs> All right, there we are. We are live. Welcome to All the right. Dads, everyone. Episode 268. Your once week live show for the latest in beer and tech news. I'm Jeff. And I'm Steve. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you all so much for joining us on this Wednesday night or in podcast form over on Anchor.fm or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. If you've never seen the show before, we talk beer, we talk tech, we talk games, pop culture, entertainment, usually some Star Trek. All Super Chats are read on the air so long as they will not permanently demonetize the channel. We do drink alcohol on the show, and if you're drinking along with us, alcoholic or not, let us know in the chat and we'll give some early show shoutouts as we go along. Last but not least, if you'd like to take part in the super secret chat or the even more super secret after party, think about joining the Patreon. The link is down in the video description. As a bonus, you'll get exclusive access to the Discord server, where you can chat with myself, John, Rhett, Steve, all the hosts from Talking Heads, and join the awesome community that hangs out over there oh yeah we're all over there almost all the time every day at least <laughs> i know sometimes I on weekends i skip sometimes <laughs> i just i need a break <laughs> not gonna lie but yeah, I for the most part, we're there. Days off. <laughs> oh yeah 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 oh uh, how's it we going? love you still we love you still yeah. oh i'm doing great i, I haven't um, seen you since like before thanksgiving yeah no it was uh, a whole series of events last month that prevented me from coming on the show but uh i'm back now Excellent. Better than ever. Excellent. Yeah. Well, cool, cool. Glad to have you back. Uh, let's see. I don't think there's any better way to get the show going than uh, what are we drinking tonight? Okay, so tonight, um, I kind of mentioned this to you before. Mm -hmm. uh, me and my wife are doing the dry January, so we're not drinking any alcohol. But luckily, technology so has advanced. Yes, I know. <laughs> oh no, trust me, I'll be back next month. Okay, I'll I'll be getting I'll be breaking out the thirteen percent bourbon barrel in celebration. Nice. Uh, and just to let every, mean, and just to let everyone know, if you do dry January, that's awesome. Like I, yeah. you have my full support. Uh, some people need it. Some people don't. Some people, you are your on your own journey. And uh, if if you need the break, take the break. Don't don't think that I'm forcing a beer in your hand by any means. So <laughs> no, it, it feels it feels good. It kind of yeah. cleanses the body, makes you feel a little better. And especially you know, December is kind of a consumption month. I should say you yeah. consume a lot of it. You got Christmas, you got New Year's. Yep. But just at the end, I feel a little burnt out. Right. And so yeah, I, I did a dry January like three years ago, and yeah. uh, and and just needed it. <laughs> and and I so. actually I have not really felt the need i i nice i'm like yeah I, i'm not drinking I, I don't really care I, I haven't had like the urge to get anything so that's good but luckily uh non-alcoholic beers are not as gross as they used to be there's a lot of good options now that are that's actually quite tasty yeah i know because they used to be terrible uh so today i i have three options um this is from uh crux which is one of our favorite uh, brewers in uh oregon it's called nomo I have that one there. this last yeah, it's month. Actually, it's actually good for, for really non-alcoholic beer. It's quite good. Uh, and I, and in my opinion, the uh, king of non-alcoholic brewers is uh, Athletic Brewing. They always put out good stuff. And this is Soul Sour. This is their uh, non-alcoholic sour beer. Uh -huh. So I'm guessing this is just going to be like a tart, beerish type drink. Nice. And then one I have not tried yet, but I like their beers. And it says Lagunitas, IP, 
N-A. So it's the uh, non-alcoholic IPA. Nice. Yeah, I had seen that Lagunas. one. I haven't picked up a pack yet. Uh, yeah. But what's funny is you mentioned uh, Athletic Brewing. Uh, mm -hmm. I have their Run Wild N-A. Yes, that's good. It's that's really good. good. It's really good. Uh, uh, I've also been drinking a lot of like just plain old hop water yep. to kind of fill the gap. And, you know, when you when you drink those things, you kind of don't miss it because you still get the that hoppy flavor. Right. It still feels like you're drinking a beer. Uh, yeah, you don't get that buzz, but you know, it still what? scratches I, that itch. Yeah, it still scratches that itch, and I feel fine. I feel, I feel, I don't feel so sluggish in the morning anymore. So good. Yeah, I kind of like it. Nice. So yeah, I've got the uh, Athletic Brewing Run Wild IPA again, uh, a non-alcoholic IPA, uh, in solidation with Steve. Uh, but then I'm gonna break <laughs> out, not necessarily the big guns, but uh, but something with some some substance. Uh, yeah. From Mount Tabor Brewing, I've got uh, Taborator. Doppelbach. Oh, Mount Tabor. Is that is that a new? Uh, before? I've I've heard of them before. Uh, yeah, just MountTaborBrewing.com, Portland. So yeah, Mount Tabor's in Portland. Yeah. So uh, usually I I hear when yeah. breweries open up in Portland, but that's a new one. Yeah. The 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 Taboreta. Tabernator. Tabernator. Yeah. I, I I bought it just for the can. I'll drink Bach. Yeah. Just <laughs> basically. It is a Doppelbach. So yeah. Uh, and then from Ex Novo, I've got a This Totally Pops Sparkling IPA. Oh, a sparkling IPA. Sparkling IPA. Now, is, is, <sighs> I, I know that they like to put a lot of adjectives in IPA because we had like the Brute IPAs for a yeah, while, yeah, yeah. which were extremely dry. Uh, I mean, to me, all IPAs are sparkling. They're carbonated, right? So I don't one know what assume. sparkling means. I think I may have already had this one on the show, like, like sometime like late last month. Mm -hmm. I, I can't remember if I did or not. Yeah. Uh, I usually try not to double up, but it's a solid enough IPA just on its own. So yeah, does, it, does do the that. label explain what a sparkling IPA is supposed to be as opposed to a not normal IPA? really. It just says dry IPA with Citra and Moteku hops. Hmm. So a dry IPA, which is my understanding as well. Or sorry, Motueka hops. Motueka, Motueka. Yeah. Uh, I always thought the Brute IPA is... is that was kind of what it was. It was like a drier right. IPA. It's the brute champagne. Yeah, you know, they, they ferment the sugars out there as, as much as they can. Right. So it's a drier, not a sweet type so, of IPA. And and they mentioned that this is a dry, so maybe that's just what it is. They're just calling maybe it maybe just sparkling something new. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Marketing. It's marketing. Yep. Anyway, let's go ahead and crack these open and uh, All right. get to a couple super chats. Uh, I Hob Goblin sends over a couple British euro pound dollar. Do things. Drinking uh, the Glenfiddich 15 year. Excellent choice. And mm -hmm. Kren sends over a couple Aussie bucks. Good day, mates. Good idea. I don't know. I don't know why they don't change the Australian dollar to dollar reduce. To dollar reduce. Uh, yeah. They should just call them dollar reduce. Right. That's that's. They they have honestly. made up nonsensical words for literally I, I everything else. So I why know. not dollar reduce? Dollar reduce. <laughs> I'm just gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna start making that change, and hopefully everybody else right. follows follows through. I mean, I wouldn't even mind if they went to like Buckaroos or something like that. Buckaroos is if if uh, Texas became independent, yes, and they printed their own currency. Yeah. It would be Buckaroos. The, the Freedom Buckaroos. <laughs> the Freedom Buckaroos. <laughs> uh, all right. Like I said, I'm gonna join you with the uh, Athletic okay. NA to start things out. Yeah, I'm doing the Athletic as well. I'm doing the the Soul Sour, and. Uh, yeah, immediately it just it smells like a normal sour to me. Nice. 
We do have a couple uh, shout-outs in the chat. Greg is uh, on call tonight, so he's drinking a cherry Pepsi. Nothing wrong okay. with that. Uh, let's see. Uh, Tyler has a Blanton's bourbon. Uh, I got some Blanton bourbon over the holidays as a crazy present, so diving into that. Excellent. Mm, Nothing nice. wrong with a little galloping horse head. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Sean, tonight, uh, checkered future IPA from Ska Brewing out of Durango, California. Uh, William says, I've got a mirror image brewing raspberry, raspberry wheat ale at 6.1%. Nice. Uh, Jason's drinking a Dr. Pepper cream soda, zero sugar, and beer okay. later. Uh, Glenn is drinking a diet root beer, getting ready for to do a NetApp battery replacement, followed by a Cisco sand switch upgrade. Uh, sober sys adminning, sadly. Yeah, you kind of... <laughs> there, there Probably some... a good idea, but not a requirement. Right. Now, now listen, pretty much every sysadmin I ever knew drinks. Oh, yeah. But we also know when not to drink. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> do not do it during major upgrades. Right. Yeah. Uh, John Jay's having a master manipulator by Drecker Brewing. Sounds fantastic. Drecker's uh, good, yeah. Ordinary Dude's got an ice-cold filtered well water. Life is good out on the farm. Oh, yeah. And let's do one more. Harley's got a contrary German's chocolate cake imperial brown ale with coconut, chocolate, and caramel. Wow. wow. Ooh, that sounds good. That does sound good. Uh, you, you know what? I'll, I'll give one more. Uh, or two more. Uh, Oft Infinity has a Baja Blast. Heck yes. And then mm -hmm. Brian's got an Elijah Craig Toasted Barrel. Oh, Elijah Craig Toasted Barrel is really good. It's one, I of, had my, that. It's one of my favorite barrels. I had that, <laughs> I had that uh, over Christmas and... Uh... Yeah, that was delicious. I yeah. think we, between me, John, and, and my other brother, I think we polished off that bottle. Mm -hmm. oh, all right. Thank you all for the uh, the call outs and the beer announcement. That's all, all those sound fantastic. But let's go ahead and get into the news. Starting with, dang it, LifeLock, you literally had one, <laughs> one job. job. One job that we asked you to do. And that was not leak our personal data while keeping our personal data, you know, under control if right. if our data gets out. And then you go and leak customer data. <laughs> <laughs> you had one job. Yeah, that's that's going to be great for this for the stockholders. They're just going <laughs> to love this news. <laughs> well, it's Norton now. Uh, yeah, which I was actually unaware that LifeLock had been purchased by Norton, but apparently that sale went through in like 2018 or something like that. It shows um, how much we pay attention. I, to I LifeLock. had to look that up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, LifeLock uh, sent a notice to customers notifying them that their account had been compromised, potentially allowing criminal hackers to access customer password managers. The company revealed in their data breach notice. Uh, the company said it uh, found intruders had compromised accounts as far back as December 1st, close to two weeks before its systems detected a, quote, large volume of failed logins to customer accounts on December 12th. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Not so, so okay, wait, let me see. So LifeLock, okay, in my understanding, LifeLock is supposed to be a service that you sign up for mm -hmm. and they monitor, like, your accounts and social securities and looks for they any kind of breaches of your PIA. Right. right. Yeah. So, so you, they notify you of any type of breach. So even though the breach was their fault, they still notified their customers. So they were still doing their job. Technically <laughs> they're like, Oh, we screwed up. Uh, somebody got access to your info through us. Sorry. Yeah. 
Yeah. But there was a breach and now you know about it. So yeah. uh, semantics, I guess. Yeah. Uh, nice turn of phrase with semantics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the geek says, wasn't that the company who had their CEO share his social security number in their advertisements? Yes. Not only did he yes. share them in advertisements, he bought a Super Bowl commercial and with it uh, on there with, and... with his SNN or SSN on there. Also, he would rent, uh, like rolling billboards in Los Angeles and, and New York and whatnot mm -hmm. with his SSN on the side of it as if it were like a Subway sandwich and and broadcast it out to the world. Now, strangely enough, uh, his uh, identity was stolen dozens of times over the years and as such had to pay back uh, essentially reparations for false advertising for the use of that as a gimmick to get customers in because it's obviously not effective if you plaster your social you security number on the side yeah. of a billboard. Yeah. Uh, yes, it is that same company. Um, yeah. It was it was quite a gamble of, a, of an advertisement, but it fell flat on its face mm -hmm. real bad. Well, when they started doing it in like 2002, it probably wasn't quite the gamble right. back then. But... <laughs> Yeah, now now it's it's so yeah, it's you, you want to keep that as safe, as safe as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so Gen Digital said it sent notices to 6450 customers whose account were accounts were compromised and Gen Digital is the company that's trying to do some of the postmortem work for Norton LifeLock. Um but uh yeah, uh, in accessing your account, username, and password, the unauthorized party may have viewed your first name, last name, phone number, and mailing address, the data breach said. Notice was sent to customers that it believed use its password manager feature because the company cannot rule out that the intruders access customers' saved passwords. So if you have a LifeLock account and you use the password manager, probably a great idea to do a password audit. And in fact... At the turn of every year, it's probably a, not a bad yeah, idea yeah. to do a password audit on yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Check out your, your reused passwords, your shared passwords. Ensure that your primary email account, which contains all of your uh, password recovery steps for all of your yep. financials, make sure that has a 100% unique password, as yep. do all your banking Absolutely. information and anything that might have access to your credit cards, so your Amazon account, your your Wish.com, yep. your AliExpress, your whatever else turn, you use to buy things. Turn on two-step authentication if you can, especially with financials. Yes. Absolutely do all that type of stuff. Yep. Um, yeah. In fact, I think I think uh, if you save your passwords through the, the Chrome password manager, I believe it prompts you to, to do an audit at least once a year. Yeah. Because I know it does for me anyway. Because, yeah. hey, you know, you want to check out these couple hundred passwords that it's like, ah, uh, some places I haven't touched in years. And I know that the password is old. I don't use it anymore. Right. So I, don't I, care, I, I have passwords that I use for like forum user accounts. Right. Um, and those are just a, a fairly generic, you know, password that's easy to remember, easy to type into every single forum that I've ever mm -hmm. been a part of. Nothing at all that's leaked to any kind of financial information. Right. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I need to, you know, the Linus Tech Tips Forum and, uh, gosh, Nexus Mods and, and anything right. like that, that has generic passwords for me. Uh, yeah. And and oftentimes they're shared because, oh, no, you might be able to break into my, L 
my Linus Tech Forum and my right. IGN account and write horrible things in the comment section. I don't care. <laughs> it's not even my craft yeah. computing account. Like, it's, I, it's not. I, when those when those breaches happen, what people are looking for, they're not looking to hack into your form account and post looking funny for the things. Shared passwords they're looking for the email. shared passwords right. to get into your important account. So, Correct. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, as long as those are trash, yeah, who, who cares? Yep. Uh, and usually for the most part, those forms, they have a real quick password reset. Yep. So it's pretty easy to change if it does get breached. But as long as it doesn't share with your important main emails or any financials, man, those are bad news when that happens. Correct. So, yeah, like I said, uh, it's January. Do yourself a favor and do a password audit. Stay safe online. Get yourself a quality password manager. Uh, can't really recommend LastPass right now. I've never had a problem with NordPass. Uh, uh, they did sponsor me a couple of years ago, although I've had mm -hmm. no uh, monetary relationship with them for probably the last 24 months, or not, if not more. Uh, so this is not a sponsored thing, just... Yep. NordPass has a pretty good reputation. Uh, you can roll your own Bitwarden. You can run that self-hosted if you want. Um, although it is difficult to run that without Docker. And I run almost entirely a VM architecture here. So I, I'd like to eventually do that. Um, or you can do fully offline, fully self-hosted with like KeePass and, and things that's, like that's that. That's what I use. I use yeah. offline KeePass. Mm -hmm. And that works pretty good for me because it's so obscure and different that yeah. yeah, it's going to be hard for anybody to, to get that and crack it. Right. Yeah. And and yeah, I, I have key pass here on my server. So the, the the passwords are backed up. I don't share the password library, even on my drive accounts or anything mm -hmm. like that. It's only yeah. exists here, but I can always VPN somewhere from somewhere and pull up a password. To get to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's usually how I manage my passwords anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, uh, <laughs> take care of yourself online, folks. Oh, all oh, right. Yeah. This was exciting news. Uh, somewhat unexpected, but uh, but also very, very cool. Um, that the Apple officially announced the M2 Pro and uh, M2 Max series of processors, but one computer that got an update and a pretty substantial one is the Mac Mini. Oh. Uh, and in fact, not only did it get an update, it also got a price drop. Uh, That's good. If you, if you, in general, Steve, yourself, and, and everyone else watching, have never tried one of the M1 Mac Minis, they are incredible little workhorses. Um, I use my Mac Mini M1 for all of my 3D design, 3D printing, laser cutting mm -hmm. design work. All of that happens on a Mac Mini. Um, because I, I've talked about this before. I need to be of two minds when I'm doing things. So I, I typically like to use purpose-built computers in specific stations or, or environments for right. doing certain tasks. And if I need to be focusing and measuring and all that kind of stuff, I don't want discord popping up and my email right. going off and everything. I, I need a, a lockdown thing so I can sit there and focus and remember the numbers that I need to be typing in. Um, and so I use a Mac mini for almost exclusively all of my design work. Uh, Mac Mini just got a huge update. Uh, so the M2 processor is now coming in the Mac Mini for 
that's that's not bad. I mean, surprisingly affordable for right an Apple product. <laughs> right, $599 gets you an M2 8-core CPU and a 10-core GPU, which is uh, about 10%, 10 to 15% per core faster than the M1, plus you get two additional GPU cores, uh, 8 versus 10 with the M2. A 16-core neural engine uh, and media engine, unified memory is offered at 8, 16, and 24 gigabyte variety, so they, they didn't quite go to the 32 gig that the M2 is mm. capable of, and included gigabit Ethernet. Uh, but 10 gigabit is an add-on option if you want, uh, and it's $100 at, uh, so $699, you could have an eight-core ARM-based Mac Mini with 10 gig Ethernet. That's, that's really nice. It's really um, nice. I mean, I, I, I'm not a, uh, you know, Mac OS mm -hmm. guy or a fan, but, you know, at 600 bucks. Right. You know, some people are, I, uh, and some people that's all they need, you know, for what they do. Like you said, for designing mm -hmm. or maybe some web development or graphic design. That's a, that's a great option. Yeah. Um, now that is just the base M2. They also announced that the Mac mini will start shipping with the M2 pro CPU, which starts at a 10 core unit with six performance cores and four efficiency cores, as well as a 16 core GPU. Uh, and they can also be build-to-order options up to 12-core CPUs with 19 GPU cores. Uh, now that model starts to get fairly expensive because it's $1299 for the, the M2 Pro, and mm -hmm. then it's $1699 for the M2 Pro with the 12-core the CPU and 19-core GPU. Um, also, if you want to upgrade the memory and you want to get 32 gigs, that's going to be two grand. Now that's expensive, it's probably a good deal for that hardware, but the problem is if you look over at the Mac Studio, which was released last year yeah. with the M1 Pro and the M1 Max, those are still better systems, and they start at $2,000 for uh, 12 cores, a 20-core GPU, and wow. 32 gigs of memory as standard. Uh -huh. uh, and so if you're looking at like fully upgrading a Mac Mini, just get the Mac Studio. I'm, I'm telling you that's probably the way to go. Uh, but if you're looking to keep it right around that $1,000 price point, that M2 Pro is very enticing. Not too bad of a price point. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, if you're a professional and you want that extra power, yeah. A uh, couple extra hundred bucks to get you to that extra extra level. Yeah. Probably the way to go. Yep. I mean, come on. If you're running a business and that's what you do, tax right up anyway. So, right. come on. Ethan sends over $5. I'd like to set up a file server I can access from anywhere. I've only ever done a Minecraft server. I cannot port forward where I am. Suggestions. If you can't port forward, that's going to be a bit of an issue. Um, yeah. And I wouldn't port forward a file server anyway, because that's opening yourself up to brute force attacks. Yeah. Uh, and if you hadn't noticed, uh, password crackers are getting very sophisticated very quickly uh, with the amount of GPU horsepower that's now available for crunching numbers specifically like that. Uh, so opening up ports in your network anymore is is kind of ill-advised uh, for anything but sandbox services like Minecraft or something like that. Um, but there are services... Uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of... Cloud Sync? Next, next cloud. Next cloud. Um, I don't 
I don't know if Nextcloud has uh, auto DNS forwarding uh, or anything like that, but I believe there are some cloud services that you can utilize that can essentially connect kind of like Plex, where you don't necessarily have to open a port for Plex, but you have a service running on your local machine that can communicate to Plex themselves, and then you can make the connection through Plex.tv. Yeah. Uh, there might be something like that out there. I'm not entirely sure, though. But rather than just opening up your file server to the web, I would definitely look into a service like uh, a self-hosted option like Nextcloud or something similar, which is essentially a Dropbox-like service that you host yourself that is web-based and not file system-based. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know of any kind of cloud solution that's that's straight file system-based. It's all cloud-based now. Oh, Cloudflare Tunnels. That's another thing that you can do. Um, you can say uh, Cloudflare can be used to set up essentially uh, port-forwarded tunnels uh, to reach services inside your network without opening ports. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, Sean says, or instead of getting a Mac anything, build a sweet used Xeon rig. Props <laughs> on the latest YouTube video on that one. Thank you. Uh, if you were yeah, I, if, I actually looked up some of those processors, and they're pretty damn affordable. Now. Yeah. I mean. If you liked that one, you're going to love the video that I'm going to I'm gonna do in like 10 days. Uh, I have a really fun video. Um, something, something, Chinese X99, something, something, ITX. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a fun one. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. A couple of people also recommending Tailscale. Yeah, uh, Tailscale would also work in a very similar manner to uh, Cloudflare Tunnels. So. Uh, could you explain the differences between OpenStack and Ceph versus VM and Proxmox? Yes, but not in the next 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, memory upgrades. This one's a little bit interesting because mm -hmm. when's the last time we had non-16-bit square memory dims available for sale? It's been a while. It's been a long time. Long time. Uh... Like we're back in the sim days. I was gonna. What was that? What was the one that started with the R? The R. You think in Rambus? Rambus, yeah, the Rambus. Rambus was still sold in 16-bit uh, sticks. Oh, was it? And it was available only in pairs. You could only install yes, it in you dual could only get Rambus modules in pairs, or a yeah. single dual-channel module with a port blocker on the other. Um, and you would oftentimes end up with very weird configurations of memory, like. 640 megabytes or something like that mm. because you'd have two 256s and two 64s which yeah, would get you 640 so yeah there there were very odd combinations with rambus but rambus itself was not available in anything other than 1632 64 128 256 oh, okay. one gig uh yeah. we all know kind of those those chains of numbers that that binary squared mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. thing uh but uh Micron just announced that they are releasing DDR5 memory modules in 24 and 48 gigabyte sticks. That's interesting. Uh, now, these sticks are still going to be uh, available in traditional 8, 16, and 32 gig versions, but they're also offering 24 and 48 gigabyte models. 
Uh, now, the theory is those are probably based on 24 gigabit memory chips, uh, whereas the traditional uh, RAM chips are using 16 gigabyte DRAM, or uh, 16 gigabit DRAM, excuse me. Mm -hmm. uh, so the use of denser chips, which essentially are 50% more dense than the 16 gigabit chips, uh, allows them to put the same number of chips on a board, so it's still eight, eight chips Across. on eight DRAM chips on the board, so it's still a square population, but it's a non-square, non-binary square number. Uh, That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, and Christopher says he bought a 24 gigabyte PC3 12800R ECC DAM. I do remember that HP had some really funky ones, had some 24 gig DIMMs. I feel like I might have bought one not long ago. Hold on. A 24, 24 gig? 24, 24 gig DDR3 ECC DIM. Yeah, I... Hold on. I have a feeling I'm waiting on one of these on eBay. Yep, there it is. Uh, says it was delivered on January 5th. I don't know that I have it. Though. Whoops. <laughs> uh oh <laughs> I want to circle back on that later. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Okay, that's that's the wrong one. Nope, that was delivered. I got that. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to go back and look. I, I swear I bought a 24 gig DIM not long ago. Just, just to have. Just to frame and put up on the wall. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, DDR5. Uh, these DIMs will be available available in DDR5 5200 modules, and uh, will be available sometime in Q1. Oh, so pretty soon then. Yeah. Uh, nice. So, yeah, this could allow configurations of dual channel up to 48 gig or 96 gig on consumer boards as well. So pretty good amount of density into a uh yeah you know single single consumer system you know something like a 13900k with two 48 gig sticks heck yes but we don't know price price yet we have no idea on pricing no uh idea on pricing they, yet. they were pretty mum on pricing and uh and again micron is a, a dram developer and, and more of a first party solution a lot of their stuff is going to be rebranded and sold in other packages uh but they are making it available and making reference designs that you can use these uh these 24 gigabit dram uh chips to make odd configurations of memory so so yeah probably see it uh pretty soon Yeah. You know what else you'll see pretty soon? Today's hmm. video sponsor. <laughs> oh wait, I gotta come up with a with a rhyme. You, you go oh, ahead. You God. go ahead. <laughs> you guys are awful. <laughs> Today's video is brought to you by Linode. If or sorry, hosting your own servers also means you get to host all your own problems. And even the most skilled network engineer will tell you you should decentralize your network. So why not host your services with Linode? If it runs on Linux, it'll run on Linode. That includes the software for most of the tutorials on my channel, like how to run your own ad blocking, recursive DNS servers, VPN gateways, your own cloud-based Plex server, and more. They offer shared CPU plans for as little as $5 per month and can scale as high as your needs go, whether it be virtualized hosting, dedicated enterprise GPUs, NVMe block storage, and more. Even if you do host your own servers, you can use Linode to keep a backup off-site. Because remember, 
Raid is not a backup. Linode is also expanding at light speed, with 12 new global data centers planned before the end of 2023. Visit linode.com slash craftcomputing and get a $100 60-day credit just for signing up for a new account. That's linode.com slash craftcomputing, and again, a huge thanks to Linode for sponsoring this episode of Talking Heads. Mm, thanks, Linode. Thanks, go Linode. with the flow. Subscribe to Linode. Go, go with the flow. <laughs> just kind of delay it. Then it, then it kind of works if you just delay it a little bit. <clears throat> I'm running out of ideas here. I, I, I noticed. <laughs> I think we've done them all already. I, I, I feel a C and D from flow at progressive is inbound. <laughs> all right. Ah. So how's your first beer going? Because I'm almost uh, polishing this yeah. one off. You know what? Um it's good. It's got a good fruity, fruity taste. It does have a sourness, but it doesn't have the same tartness that most sour beers do mm -hmm. that I have. So it, it's almost there. It just needs to have almost a little more yogurty of a sourness to it. And okay. that's going to be quite reminiscent of a, a sour beer. That's the only thing it's missing. Yeah. Most, most kettle sours kind of have that you know, lactobacillus. Right. It's that, that real sour yeah. bite. Yeah. yeah. This one's there. It's, it's more of a sweet tart sour. Not even, not even that, not even a candied sour, mm -hmm. uh, that level. It's very, very subdued sour. Yeah. So I could use a little bit more sourness, yeah. but other than that, it tastes great. Yeah. Uh, so this is the run wild IPA from athletic. Um, I've got to say solid, solid NA beer. Uh, this was very enjoyable. Uh, definitely a little bit more on the um, grassy, hoppy side of things. A mm -hmm. uh, little bit more... Um, boy, how do I... I don't want to go, like, fully vegetal. Like, I, I don't want to explain yeah. it like that. But it's definitely more on the, the grassy bitterness side of things than mm -hmm. your traditional West Coast hop, you know, where you get darker and danker and thicker and things like that. So you're more almost like a fresh hop. Yeah. Kind of like, because fresh hop tends to have like a, a green, fresh lawn cut type of right. almost vegetation yeah. taste to it. Yeah, but it's also not quite to like, you know, Deschutes Fresh Squeeze or something. Like right, it, right, right, it, right. It's definitely its own unique flavor profile, but kind of in between mm -hmm. that. Uh, but very enjoyable. I, I really liked that one. Yeah, I've been I've been trying, uh, well, not trying, I've been thinking about it. I did a small experiment once about making my own hop water. Mm-hmm. And just throwing a couple of hop pellets, letting it soak overnight, uh -huh. filtering it out, and then sticking it into a soda stream and see how oh, how does that taste? I was actually thinking the exact same thing not that long ago yeah. because I was uh, the Klaus taller. I was looking at getting in mm -hmm. some cases of that, and I'm like, I'm not paying like thirty five dollars for twelve bottles. Yeah, I don't even buy craft pilsner. Like, why yeah. would I? <laughs> why would I ship in you know a, a, a case or two of hopped water? Yeah. That costs three times what even my most expensive cases of craft beer do. Yeah. It's like, no. Uh it's it's gotta it's gotta be the right right hops and the right ratio. Yeah. Is what, what I'm I'm trying to experiment yeah. with. Um and the, the my first experiment was it was just way too many hops. Mm -hmm. It was just like super, super bitter. Uh and then I kind of cut it back and then it wasn't quite enough. So I don't know. I have I have some mosaic, I have some cascade, and I have some citra. And that's the combo I've been using. Yeah. And 
um, I, I just put a handful in the first time. That was way too much. The second time it was just like a pellet each. Yeah. And that was not enough. So I got to figure out the right, right ratio. Once you figure out the ratio, let me know. Cause we've also got a soda stream and I was looking at doing literally the exact same thing because, yeah. um, I, I like drinking ice water, but, but I would like a little mm -hmm. bit of flavor with it. And I'm, I'm yes. not, I'm not really a, a squeeze a lemon or a squeeze a lime kind of guy mm -hmm. in my water. Um, you know, but I, I do want it to have some flavor and yeah. I, I also cannot stand artificial sweeteners. So any, yeah. anything of like the, the Mio packs or like, yeah, I don't like those either. No, I hate those. <laughs> I've been, I've been doing a touch of ginger. Mm -hmm. ginger so I, I just do the i get some ginger water or just just grate some ginger put it in water so it's that and i just squeeze a little bit of that into okay yeah uh, the water and it gives it just a touch of ginger flavor nice um if you like that some people don't like straight up ginger but i like ginger. I do. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i like marianne too but yeah so I'm, I'm curious to see uh if you're able to dial that in because i would love to make my own hop water I, I might try it again, uh, maybe this weekend or something. I kind of, I kind of gave up earlier this month because I was like, all right, this is, yeah, I'm wasting my time here. I'll just, I'll just try again. So this is the uh, Mount Tabor Brewing Taborator. 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 I'll be Doppelbach. <laughs> uh, Doppelbach. You have to tell me how that is. I yep. like a good Doppelbach. Yeah. Well, I mean, judge for yourself. Yeah. Yep. That looks good. Yeah. Like. Nice pillowy head there. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I will let you know. As long as it's got that nice, sweet, roasty malt flavor, that's that's kind of what I look for in a double buck. It's got the right smell. Mm. Oh, man. Good? Ooh. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Mount Tabor, huh? Mount Tabor, Taborator. That's that's that one that to try. That is one to try. Mount Tabor. Come on, untapped. Quit being so slow. <laughs> did you look this up to see what it's rated at? I did not. Okay. I'm actually kind of curious. If I had to guess, it's probably around 375. There it is, the Taborator. Oh, no, actually, it's a little bit higher, 3.83. Hmm. Well, there you go. Yeah. Oh, people seem to really like it. It's it's Usually, it's kind of high up there. I'm going to have to put this on my uh, wish list here. Nice. Something to try when uh, the month's up. Yep. It's a 7.3%. That's yeah. quite high for a doppelbach. Right. <laughs> Seven, three. Yeah. Yep, 7.3. Once nice. referred to as liquid bread, Doppelbach was originally created by monks to celebrate Lent and provide sustenance when the monks otherwise fasted. We let Taborator chill oh, out yeah. in in lagering tanks for two months to ensure the malty sweetness is perfectly balanced with a smooth, clean finish. And while we appreciate the history of the style, we strongly suggest skipping the fast. In other words, drink with food if you want to live. Uh, well, I don't know. I'll tell John that because <laughs> <Right. laughs> that's that's the the beer he drank right. mostly for his all beer diet was mostly doppelbox. Yeah. Ah, uh, good times. Please eat responsibly. Yes. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if he's going to be doing because I know he always likes to do something weird. Uh, the month of February. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he's going to do the beer diet again. 
but uh no it's usually march is when he does that uh and that's also when i do my my stuff uh uh mixology march will be returning this oh, year. mixology march yeah. there we go so but yeah no john did the uh the only beer diet and then the year before he did the uh non-alcoholic march where he non reviewed march, yeah. a non-alcoholic beer every day and uh yeah yeah interested to see what uh what funky ideas he's got this time around yep the all top ramen diet. I don't know. <laughs> top ramen and vodka. I'm not yeah, going back know. to college. You can't make me. <laughs> hey, you could make some pretty good stuff with just plain old top ramen. Uh, we've we've actually had some top ramen on hand for quite a while now, and I've I've been enjoying some top ramen here and then. Uh, but uh, I need to go back to to some of my college recipes because I I used to do like uh, I would cook just the ramen noodles and add just yes. just a pinch of the uh, of the chicken flavoring mm -hmm. um and then i would make a butter uh and garlic sauce that i would pour over oh the yes 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 uh, yes and yes. then you get like, like one noodle. of the dollar walmart salmon fillets and mm -hmm. that was my meal <laughs> oh yeah no that's excellent i used to do like the poor man's pad thai i get a get a peanut sauce make a quick oh, peanut yeah. sausage yeah. some peanut butter some brown sugar some soy sauce some uh, fish sauce Mm -hmm. uh, just kind of mix that together to get the right flavor. Toss it in there with some chicken chunks. That's good stuff. Yes. You got some green onion, chop that up, throw that in there. All good. Yep. Dang it, now I'm wanting some ramen pad thai. <laughs> it's really easy to make. Yeah. I've made it drunk several times, and it still <laughs> turned out great. But it's kind of a hard thing to screw up. It really is. <laughs> I don't know if I have any peanut oil. Oh, you don't need do. peanut oil. You just need peanut butter. Right. Oh, peanut butter. Just peanut butter. Okay. Yeah. 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 You don't necessarily need peanut oil. All right. Well, we'll see how uh, feisty I'm feeling tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Nvidia uh, may be coming out with a slightly revised design of both the 4080 and the 4070 based on some leaked images. Uh, now. There's a couple of different reasons for this. Number one, we pretty much know that the 4080 has just flat out flopped. Uh, oh, yeah. Not only are there hundreds on shelves readily available across the country and around the world, but we also know that NVIDIA, like a lot of other chip manufacturers, have been slashing their allocations from TSMC and trying to sell off their lot allocations for fab time. Uh, and uh, the 4080 is kind of square in the the headlights for that one. Uh, while it's not a bad performing card, uh, $1,200 is just a bit much. Thank you. It's it's a lot for, I, yeah. I think a lot of people were predicting, you know, because, you know, the whole cryptocurrency thing took a dive. Mm -hmm. And like, okay, we might have some fair prices now. But I think they kind of saw what was happening when the cryptocurrency made all the prices go skyrocket, and mm -hmm. people were still clamoring for those cards. Yeah, they're like, ah, we can we can jack up the prices and right. still be 3090s okay. Thirty nineties are selling for twenty seven hundred bucks. Like, let's get in on that money. Yeah, and then they they planned their entire Lovelace lineup uh, around those price points. And November eighth, crypto crashed, and looks like it's never going to recover. No, and, not, uh, no, I hope not. <laughs> and Nvidia's kind of left holding the bag on this one. Yeah. So yeah, unfortunately, we're still. I'm still actually waiting for you know a price drop to 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 get mm -hmm. something. Um, still kind of looking at maybe the three thousand series 
if if maybe unless these newer 4000 cards actually are uh affordable mm -hmm. because i don't think it says in the article um it says what what does it say i hope the consumers is that the trickle down economics might even this early 48 yeah the, the there's some series, speculation yeah. that that's going to be um, slower now there's two pieces of this story e-technics kind of has one piece of it where they're introducing a new chipset and then there's another one uh with wccf tech that has all but confirmed that uh, NVIDIA will be using a new AD103301 silicon, which is a revision of the AD103 that was being used on the 4080. Um, the advantage to this is it actually removes the requirement for some ancillary hardware on the board because it's integrated now into the silicon. Uh, so it will actually potentially reduce the cost to both AIBs and consumers to manufacture and then purchase the cards. Uh, will this make a huge difference? I mean, no, these aren't going to sell for $800 all of a sudden. No. Uh, but anything that they can do to lower the price of the GPU, I think will be welcomed by consumers. I think if they can get it under a thousand, it'll be a lot more welcome of a of a thing yeah, uh, yeah still on the high end of what most people were looking for oh absolutely As, but especially it's not... when you have like the 7900 xt just sitting yeah. there at you know 850 dollars and the 7900 xtx at a thousand yeah um yeah that boy as great as loveless is like the cards are phenomenal uh oh in, no they are in fact i do have a 4080 review coming up on the channel uh but uh Man, they're just too expensive. Yeah, they are. So, yeah, hopefully this will add a little bit of reprieve to, again, both AIBs and consumers and uh, ends up being a net win for, for everyone. I hope so, because I'm, I'm really wanting to purchase something new. Yep. But I just really, really cannot justify it at the current price points. Yeah. You know, I, I could do a, a loaner card with you for a while if uh, you're getting tired of your 1070. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's okay for now. I mean, there there hasn't been, honestly, there hasn't really been anything. There's a few games where I had to knock down the settings just to get something decent. Yeah. But, you know, I've been I've been kind of actually enjoying going through my older backlog and playing games I've never played before. That's actually um, what I've been doing lately too. Although I'm doing it on my 3090. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I've, I've been going through the backlog and going. You know, I was looking forward to this game, and then another came out game came out like the week before, yeah. and I missed yep. the launch, and I never went yep. back and played it. And you know what? Darn it, I'm going to dive in. Oh yeah. And so I've been doing although, that a lot lately. Although I did get, because uh, I know you said your your kids were really enjoying it, and my son was really wanting to try this, uh, and that was Teardown. Yes. And I finally picked it up for uh, during the winter winter sale. Uh -huh. and man, he loves that game so much. <laughs> but man, does it make my computer just oh, cry? It oh, it makes hurt. it hurt. <laughs> yeah. I sat there watched him play it because he he wanted he was watching a YouTube video where someone was playing it, and there was a mod where they had the like super katana where you just slice it and it goes through buildings or something like yeah, that. Yeah. You just chop buildings in half. It's like, dad, I want that. And so I got it for him and he was like, he did it once and it was just like, chick, 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 chick. Um, <laughs> I, I, oh, I have a couple of mods even on my PC that if you turn them up, if you turn the, mm -hmm. the, 
There's one that will... Uh, it's the Thanos Snap. So yeah. it, it has the Infinity Gauntlet in front of you. That's your weapon. And when you fire the trigger, he'll snap. And mm. whatever you're targeting right now will vaporize. Will will turn oh, into dust. Cool. <laughs> uh, nice. Unfortunately, it does the smallest of voxels when it does it. Oh, and so if yeah. you target like the side of a building or something like that, it will mm -hmm. vaporize the building. Uh, oh, and so you just have a billion and, small, and so tiny think voxels. Think all of a sudden about the physics of like four hundred thousand voxels breaking down and all reacting with one another because everything in the game is one hundred percent physics based. Yes, oh, and I uh, yeah, the, that one makes my computer cry. Uh, <laughs> so I, I had to I had to turn that one off. Uh, oh yeah, a absolutely fun game, terrific to just mess around with, perfect for a little kid. The, Man, the, it just the makes it cry. I love Teardown because it's one of those games that has a low skill floor and a high skill ceiling where yes. it's super easy to understand, oh, I need to go steal this item or get into okay. this place undetected. Or It's all about the planning and execution. And um, you can do the basics very simply, or you yeah. can get super advanced and, and try to pass every single objective and steal every single item and, yeah. and, and then plan your escape route just perfectly and everything else. Um, and so I've been, I was going through that game and I think I'm chapter four or something like that. Uh, I'm pretty late into the game and I've 100% yeah. it up to that point. Now it got to yeah. a point where it's like, okay, I'm starting to struggle. I'm starting to really struggle. Yeah. I, I got up to chapter two and that's about when my son came in and took over. He's like, <laughs> no, I want to play. And then he just wanted to do sandbox mode. He just wanted to go on and, and mess with stuff. Right. The very first thing. Now, again, uh, our gaming systems here are, uh, at least my daughter's gaming PC is virtual. Uh, it runs on a yep. GPU uh, out in my garage. Uh, so most of her gaming is done on a Tesla M60. Oh. Um, which is a 2000 CUDA core Maxwell based GPU. It has enough power for you know, and uh, her stream, I limited it to 720p, but when right. she's on it, she has the full power of the graphics card. And right. so, you know, it's a pretty good little competent card at that resolution. At that um, 720, yeah. Right. The very first uh, time she played Playdown, she locked my server. Oh. <laughs> she hard locked my server because the graphics card just went like, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I can't, I'm done. I can't do it. <laughs> no more. Yep, it does make anything you have to throw out a cry. But man, is it is it just fun to mess around with? Yep. All right. Speaking of over powerful graphics cards and uh Yeah. Let me yeah. try let me try that transition again because this is gonna okay. go on the clip. <laughs> while, while, while you think about it, I'm gonna open my second pair. I'm gonna do the uh the nomo nice. crux. So just let me all know. Yes. All right. Proceed. Speaking of overpowered graphics cards and <laughs> new uses for them, uh, according to the morning after, Getty Images is suing uh, Stable Diffusion Maker's Stability AI for essentially uh, making their business model obsolete. No, I'm kidding. Uh, for essentially <laughs> uh, stealing their work. Uh, to use as training for AI image generation. And yeah. there's probably a point to this. Uh, so Getty Images, you all know, you can go in and look at stock images and type in the most absurd thing possible, like rabbit wearing sunglasses or astronaut mowing the lawn. And you will get someone who has gone out 
and taken pictures of those things and you can license them from getty images that you know uh one of the main sources of their income is stock image generation yeah um well that's also one aspect that ai specifically stability and stable fusion do quite well and it might be because they used getty images as a training input when they were building their database yeah uh in fact there's probably some uh some merit to that uh so you can go on to getty images website and you can view any image with the the getty images watermark across it right they got the watermarks um, all over thing but uh there's some tongue-in-cheek use of uh uh using getty images without paying for it and just throwing the stock image up there with the the watermark across it. I, know, I think uh, everybody's seen seen that somewhere. Right. <laughs> I mean, the, the spiffing Brit made it so famous that he started doing yeah. it to his own images with spiff, you know, spiffco across it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, th there's something kind of charming about that. Like someone made this image, and I'm just going to post it here. I'm not going to pay for the license because it's just utterly ridiculous. But here's the image. Um, well. You're still not allowed to commercially develop things with those images that are watermarked. They're watermarked so you can purchase the license for them. And that's yeah. where terms of service and copyright violation may come into play here. Uh, so the lawsuit will reportedly re uh, include copyright and site terms of service violations like web scraping. Now, terms of service violations are very much a civil matter uh copyright would would lean it into more of a legal matter and it's really this is going to be a landmark case no matter what happens with the verdict here uh because is feeding it publicly viewable information yeah which getty images is all publicly viewable you don't even need an account to do it you can scrape the website and even if it's against their terms of service if you as getty images posted this online it might be a public repository of fair game uh especially because you could claim uh that everything generated with with stable diffusion is uh derivatively unique uh yeah. which is what copyright requires for inspiration or inspired by or, or anything like that is it is it a unique derivative work and this is precedents have been set in music and art and video games and coding and all kinds of different things but they've oh, yeah. never been set yet for ai art and so yeah. like i said one way or the other this is going to make make news for someone it's yeah it's it's very interesting of a case and and, and you're right i can see it kind of going both ways the ai cannot generate these images without training but the product that they produce is not a duplicate of, of what they have right is, so is inherently unique it's inherently um, unique right Correct. and and if you search for a if i'm an artist and i want some reference photos of a bunny and and i just do a search on google images for bunny just to get like oh i just need to know how to draw the nose real quick right. um or you know get a, a representative idea of that um there's no statute for you know, learning how to draw a rabbit's nose from looking at other works of art or images or anything like right. that online. 
Uh, and again, because AI generated art can't be copyrighted because there is no artist. Is there a crime that actually was committed here? Yeah, I don't know. I think they have the you know the this whole is the such whole, a gray area. Yeah, the violation of TOS with like using it as web scraping, they might have a little more validity there. But I, I don't know about because like yeah, it's it's just looking at the AI is just looking at a picture to figure out what something may look like. What is a bunny? What is an astronaut? Is bunny, okay, now yeah, I know. Yeah. Now I'm going to form my own derivative work based off of right. that, or right. or I'm going to look at a thousand astronauts. Now only 50 of them were from Getty Images. And so, yeah, there was inspiration there, but it was only training it to draw astronauts. It wasn't training yeah. it to draw astronauts from Getty Images. And that, Correct. that is a very important yeah. distinction, I believe, uh, when it comes to uh, Getty's footing in this case. Although I am not a lawyer. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, the interesting, the really interesting thing about Stable Diffusion AI was in early iterations of the tool, it had a, quote, tendency to recreate the Getty watermark generated in its Yes, features. I was just going to say that. They, they, they must have started expanding their pool because I have not seen a watermark. Or they started excluding, hey, if you see Getty in the, in the you know, horizontal yeah, lines, let's skip over exclude that. that from your image generation mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see where this one goes because, yeah. oh boy. <laughs> I think I read an article too about a, uh, an AI lawyer too, like an uh, a kind of a, uh, a law helping AI bot. So like you have AI these particular issues, and it kind of has right. an AI to help you figure it out because you know law has certain set of rules, so that's mm -hmm. fairly easy to program. That'd be funny if you got that lawyer to try this case. <laughs> 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 Stable Diffusion goes, I'd like to introduce my lawyer, Watson. Please come yeah. on. <laughs> uh, Tech Geek sends over $50. Late to the party. Just got back from a date night. I'll catch up. Might see you in the after party. Cheers. Cheers, All good, right. sir. Cheers. Yeah. Just got back from a date night. Oh, didn't go well. Okay. <laughs> he got back early. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was an unnecessary burn. F but one that I wasn't going to let pass by. F if he comes, if he comes back to the after party and he's got like a tall, tall boy of whiskey, we know it didn't go well. Right. <laughs> uh, no, he's he's got a handle of uh, old English or something. Yeah, there he goes. <laughs> he's just drinking it straight from the bottle. <laughs> you know, it was a good date night. <laughs> uh, Bonus points if it's in a brown paper bag. <laughs> yep. Got to hide the shame, Steve. Yep. Yep. Got to hide it. It's just mouthwash, guys. I got to rinse it out. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Got that Listerine high going on. <laughs> uh, in some other Apple news, Apple has reportedly postponed their Apple glasses indefinitely due to technical difficulties with the design and the goals of the platform. Uh, if true, this would actually be a pretty big blow to AR adoption uh, yeah. as a lot of people were looking forward to see what innovation is Apple going to bring to this space? Uh, now, for all the crap that everyone gives Apple about, like, they can't innovate anymore, and when they do, it's a mm -hmm. trash can. Uh, 
Apple, when they enter a space, they usually do so with with vigor, and and they they usually define the space as it will be known for the next ten years. Yeah. Smartphones were not smartphones before Apple created the smartphone, and. Right. Revisionist history will say they stole a bunch of crap from Android. Did you see Android before iPhone nope. was announced? It came out. It came out slowly after, but was not as innovative. It wasn't as widely adopted. Exactly. I mean, same thing. Same thing with the iPod. Do you I remember mean, smartphones before the iPhone? Because I do. It was Windows were, CE and Palm OS. They they were they were terrible. Yeah, it was Palm OS or, I, or I BlackBerry. I, yeah. And they, they were, were kind of a stretch awful. to call them smartphones. Yeah, it was kind of a stretch to even call them smartphones. Right. I loved my Palm Trio 650. In fact, when I die, I still want to be buried with that phone. It is my <laughs> one of my favorite all-time phones that I've ever had. I rocked that phone for four and a half years. Okay. Uh, but man, as soon as I got an iPhone 3G... Bye, Felicia. Yeah, it's gone. Goodbye. Completely different. I don't want to play with whole new you game. anymore. Whole new game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same thing Same thing with, you know, the iPod. There were plenty, plenty, tons at the time. Tons yep. of portable MP3 players. Yeah. But none did it as good or as well as the iPod. Yeah. And it just blew up. And that's that's when Apple became synonymous. Right. And and so a lot of MP3 people will, will... Oh, Apple doesn't innovate anymore. That's because what do you innovate about the smartphone now? What do you innovate about a laptop now? What do you innovate mm-hmm. about desktops and displays and things like that now? You're kind of chasing the nth percentile at this point, which is going yeah. to be a diminishing returns, lower expectations or higher expectations and lower returns for what is technically capable with the hardware and the software. Like you can only go so far. Um and and the you know innovations of higher resolution and faster processors yeah that's kind of where we're at now yeah. but do you remember when we got the first video camera and then hd camera and then holy crap they're photo processing and then holy crap yeah. they were first to market with all of the things that you take for advantage of in every single phone that you use today uh there's a reason you don't go out and buy Android tablets because, good God! Oh, you do for little kids, <laughs> right? Yeah, you, you you buy the you buy the the Kindle Kids version of the tablet so they can yeah. watch their shows. But when you're a grown up, you buy a freaking iPad because that's what works, um, or you buy a Surface. Um, But there was so much anticipation of Apple entering the AR space because Apple has a tendency when they're entering the market to show you Mm -hmm. what the product should be capable of doing. And whether or not they end up being the best at it, they're the best when they're first to it. And... You know, when yeah, when, with, with when the Steve Jobs introduced the original iPhone and said, no more physical buttons, everyone, including myself, went like, you huh? can't take my keyboard away from me. What are you thinking? You uh, touch screen only, you absolute madman. You're going to bankrupt this company. When's the last physical keyboard you touched on a mobile phone? Oh, it's been a while, but I did love my slide out keyboard on mm-hmm. my mobile phone. 
they were a little thicker, but I did like it. Mm -hmm. But but with the advent of you know uh, slide text and predictive text, yeah, you don't you don't really need that anymore. You don't. Um, so uh, Apple glasses were rumored to serve as a lightweight solution for utilities associated with augmented reality. Product would provide users with mixed reality view with digital information shown over the real world. Apple glasses are different from the AR headset that the company had been planning to release in the near future. Um, and again, just as a, I did get to try Google Glass Explorer Edition, mm -hmm. uh, and I've talked about this a couple of times. And while in general, there was a lot that needed to happen with that to be an actual retail product. And, and there's a reason it never really made it to market outside of the $1,500 Explorer edition. Right. It's because it had such limited use cases, but the use cases that it, that it absolutely shown in were things like hands-free navigation, uh, both walking directions and driving directions, because no longer do Man. I have to take my eyes off the road right. to look at GPS. It's just kind of hovering there above my vision and it's perfectly clear, perfectly legible. If I have a text message come in, it's just a, a, a swipe to ignore it or a tap and you go, yeah, I'll be home at seven. And, and it sends like, I also had a Pebble watch around the same time. Uh, I had yeah. a Pebble Steel watch and absolutely loved that because it simplified what was necessary on a watch. And all I wanted was a watch to tell me if there's something really quick that needs my attention and I can go click, click and be done with it. Like uh, someone sends a text message and I go, okay, I'm not typing a custom message on my watch. I'm not right. doing anything like that. Uh, I, The watch is simply telling me you have a notification do you need to take your phone out of your pocket to deal with this? Or could this wait 30 minutes until you're done with what you're doing? Yeah. I loved the Pebble Watch for that. And and being able to go, oh, I've got an email. Oh, yeah. It, it's a shipping notification. Which means I don't have to take my phone out of my pocket and go, okay, shipping notification. I can just go, oh, my package shipped. Awesome. Yeah. It saves you 20 seconds every time it goes off because you don't have to pull your phone out of your pocket and unlock it and get to your email app and go, oh, that's what that was. It saves you, you know, dozens of minutes a day yeah. in being more Those productive adds up after and a while. staying yeah. on task. And yeah. that's what I loved it for. And if someone can develop a set of AR glasses that can just do that, that can, that can, you know, and the smartphones have got, or the smart watches have gotten so sophisticated lately. It's driving me nuts because they're trying to be full phone replacements and they're going to do everything. And it's like, I don't want it to do everything. You don't I want to it do to that, do yeah. five very specific things, very narrow focused, notifications only. I don't need to order dominoes from my freaking watch Dick Tracy style. I just want to know <laughs> if I need to read this email now or if I can wait 20 minutes. That's all I want. Yeah. And that's what most people are really looking for with those smartwatches anyway. Yeah. I mean, yes, the, the interface is too small to really do too much. I mean. It's too small to do anything. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I had a couple things on my Pebble smartwatch. Um, I did have a GPS-based speedometer, uh, and I used that when I was out trail riding. Uh, and so oh, that's really I, cool. I, I would yeah. go dirt biking and, and mountain biking and things like that. And I would use that as a speedometer and odometer 
uh, so I knew how far I had traveled and, and how fast I was going and everything else. Worked fantastic for that because I yeah, but but a set of AR glasses with that would be with a heads up display would be just as I think it would be better to be honest. Totally, (laughs) yeah. Something I can wear inside of a helmet that will tell me how fast I'm going or what road I need to take or trail maps or anything like that. Like I go back in those days, I went biking on some insane trails that were like 30 miles from anything, and and it was nothing but you know, deserted forest service roads and, and old logging roads and things like that. And, uh, and there are so many weaving trails that go all through the mountainsides and, uh, so easy to get turned around. So easy to lose where the main road is, you know, or get onto a, a, a side road that would literally take you like 40 miles away from where you want to be. And, uh, it gets late and it gets cold fast. Yeah, it does. Oh yeah. <laughs> Eastern Oregon is high desert and uh it gets very cold. Even in the summer it can hit 30. Dry, like, dry, dry. I mean it's not you know wet and cold at least. Right. But it gets very cold. Well, it depends on the time of year you're there. That's true. Yeah. It's the winter time. It's very uh, winter. I did winter. almost have to spend a night outside in like twelve feet of snow. Um so that's, that's where that igloo building skills come in. Right. Uh, well, we did have uh, emergency thermal blankets and fire making stuff. And uh, like we, right. w- we would have been fine uh, yeah. because we can't. It was just me and my dad and yeah. uh, we were uh, riding snowmobiles and uh, mm. we came across this uh, national park entrance or state park entrance. And uh, the only reason you could tell it was a state park entrance was because the road we rode in on. The stop sign was poking about this fire far out of the snow. Oh, and you could just tell that's that's a state. You could recognize this as a state sign. Right. Yeah. Like this, there's a paved road under us. There, there's yeah. things like that. And now if you think of a stop sign, those are between eight and ten feet tall. Yep. This is how much of the stop sign was showing. Okay, so there's pretty deep snow. Pretty deep snow. Very deep snow. That we're yeah. riding on. Okay. Um we we hung a right and we went into the into the park and you know those little like national forest service uh in, information stations like they're the oh, yeah. two log poles and then the a frame yep. roof and whatnot and they've got like they have the map inside yeah of it it's got like the map yeah, yeah. and the flyers and the about this area and whatnot um that the snow was even with the bottom of the roof peak and then there was that much more snow on top of the roof and oh, it man. looked like this giant inverted mushroom kind of thing oh, um, and so we we stopped snowmobiles real quick and we were pointing and laughing at that going like, that's really cool. Like there's like 12 feet of snow and then there's 12 feet of snow on top of that thing. Um, and so this was a lake up in the uh, high desert in Eastern Oregon. And so we were like, yeah, let's go see if the lake's frozen over. And so we start heading down the road towards the, the main part of the park. And uh, it's about three 30 in the afternoon, three thirty four o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm dead of winter which means at like 4 30 it's going to be dark dark yeah like like the sun is already past the mountains where mm-hmm. we're at and and at 4 30 we're gonna drop 20 degrees like it, it was cold. yeah and and so we're like oh we'll just do this real quick and then it's like a 30 minute ride back home we'll be home right about you know right about the time it gets dark perfect right um we got about a half mile down this road and uh uh my dad was in front and I remember to this day him cruising down the road and then his snowmobile literally dropping six feet Oof. into soft powder. 
Oh. Okay. And I was running a little too close that I couldn't stop in time. And so I just kicked it to the left and I landed in the ditch on my side. And I also sunk about six feet into soft powder. Um, now, if you've never tried to dig out a snowmobile, uh, try lifting a snowmobile six feet above your head. Oh yeah. That's no fun. Okay. <laughs> You're not gonna, you gotta, you gotta basically ramp yourself out of that. Right. And so that's what we had to do. Number one, we had to get him turned around, mm -hmm. uh, which is a feat unto its own. Um, and so we started with my dad's and, and literally like, just like dug around in the snow and dug him like this little cylinder that he was in and then like packed in a ramp as much as we could. And then we lifted mine up. We got it turned around, but it took us, it took us an hour an hour and a half. Oh yeah, I bet. To Easily. Just to just to turn the snowmobiles around. And uh we're like, man, we're going to get these started and if we if we set out in 100 feet and then we sink again, we're not we're making screwed. it back. Yeah. Like there there's no possible way we will be able to dig out. Um and so uh we we got them turned around and uh uh Got got like a ramp built for both of us to get it back up on top of the snowpack, and uh, and then we kind of went. When you go, hit the throttle, and you stay on the throttle until you see the stop sign. You go yeah. all the way to that stop <laughs> sign because we know that's packed snow again. Uh, so you're gonna go about a half mile up the road and then pack snow, then turn around and see if the other person is still with you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because it's so him. much easier to stop there and then turn around then risk stopping and hitting some and soft going, snow whoosh, and sinking again. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I'd rather dig one out than two. Yeah. Uh, but we were fully prepared. Like if, if this goes sideways, we're going to stay overnight. Like mm. we're not going to fight it anymore because you'll, you'll die fighting. Uh, yeah. More it's it's going to get, it's going to get too cold. Right. There's lack of light. It's very, very easy to just not see what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, no, uh, that was one of the scariest things I've ever been out and, and, done like <laughs> yeah not that smart glasses would have helped there but at least i could have seen no. the trail road yeah <laughs> you can see where you're going yeah <laughs> so but though still it's kind of kind of a bummer it would have been nice to see what they can do but that just kind of kind of goes to show how difficult uh ar glasses are mm -hmm. um as i mean yes like you said the google glass it was kind of rudimentary. There wasn't really much of a use case. It was neat. Yeah, it was neat. But but the price point and what it did probably wasn't worth it. That's why I never really went to market. Mm -hmm. And that could be exactly what Apple's seeing too. Right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're blaming it on technical limitations. But again, did they do some market focusing and say, like, people don't want a thousand features in their smart glasses. They just want notifications right. and if all you're going to deliver is notifications are you going to make any money on the product and are people going to use it and keep using yeah. it is there a value add to the customer or is this just another gadget that's going to be a chic thing and then gone in in a year yeah um yeah. you know and the apple watch has managed to stay alive and and is still doing fairly well uh because it 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 handles those basic things at a very basic level it's it's the quick replies it's the see my notifications and it's a couple of 
specific applications that a person wants right. to run, whether it's uh, fitness training, whether it's GPS navigation for a motorcycle or something like that. Right. Like it fills those niches. And that and that's kind of what I miss about the pebble is the pebble filled all the niches that I had uh, without without all the other bulk. And it ran yeah. smoothly. It, it, it never stuttered because it wasn't trying to do a thousand things at once. It was trying right. to let me know my notifications, either email or text. Uh, it was giving me three predefined options of okay, yes, and no uh, to respond to text messages with. And yeah. so if someone just had a quick question, yes, click, done. Uh, and that was it. it. There was nothing more mm -hmm. to it. Uh, yeah. And that's all I wanted in a smartwatch. And then... And, and I think that's what a lot of people are... are I understand that there could be some advanced uh, AR capabilities, uh, you know, especially in the workplace and stuff like that. You know, you got to reorder a part. You can see the part number and says, okay, hey, this is the part number. Is this is what you want to reorder. You can be like, yes, I want to reorder this. And it goes boop, right to it. You don't have to... You don't have to put anything down, you know, do that. There's tons of use cases for it, but I think consumer wise, like you said, I want, I want to be on my bike trail. I want to be jogging. I want to see how, how fast I'm going. Right. There's a heads up display with my heart rate. Where am I going? Type of a thing. Mm -hmm. Th those type of things are, are neat. I mean, they're just, and they're not too complicated. They really just need to be displayed on the thing. They don't really have to interact with the environment you're in right now. Correct. And there are some neat things where you, you can do that, but I think most people are just looking for something like that, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah. And, and I guarantee if there's a high-end headset that comes out, if people buy it, that's mainly what they're going to be doing with it anyway. Yeah. And I almost think that products need to get back to being a little bit more hyper-focused on specific items and specific use cases. Uh, because that's when you really find out if you're going to use an item or not is yeah. this does six things well uh yeah. which is what made the iphone so successful right out of the gate was mm -hmm. people are going well it's just probably a crappy phone with a touch screen and that's like no it's actually a pretty darn good phone and the touch screen works fine and yeah. you know well it's just a an ipod with a with a screen with a phone on it actually yeah. no it's a pretty good you know ipod as well well it probably doesn't do all the rolodex and calendar stuff that it, no it's mm -hmm. got a fully fledged calendar it syncs with your with your google or your apple account mm -hmm. or anything else yahoo whatever you got and uh and takes care of your pda things that you're doing with your with your yeah. palm pilot and blackberry right now and it's like oh well if i can replace all that and have them be just that much better yeah, and that's, and that's the same reason. The same reason why you know home desktops went away with the advent of the tablet, mm -hmm. because for the most part, a lot of people they don't need the high end stuff that a, a, a desktop PC can do. They right. just want to look at Facebook. They just want to play some card games on there. They just want to like watch some YouTube videos. That's it. Um, okay. They can do that with a tablet on their couch. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's that's, that's what <laughs> most old people do with the, with their devices. You're not wrong. That it, yeah, that's and so they don't need a desktop anymore. Yep. They don't even need a laptop anymore. Yeah. So and yeah, they can make they can make it nice big 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 tablet. They can put it there. They can see it. They can touch it. Mm -hmm. Good for old people. Yeah. <laughs> 
So yeah, no, I'm, I'm not going to browse the web on my watch. I'm not going to compose full emails on yeah. my watch. I, yeah. I'm not going to order dominoes with my watch. Like yeah. those are things I don't want and I don't care about. Um, but I need the basics to be there to actually enhance the things that I'm doing. And right. did Apple kill AR because of technical limitations or did they realize that in order to do even the basics, it would cost too much engineering wise and no one was going to yeah. use it anyway. So right. could be, who knows? Scientists are getting eerily good at using Wi-Fi to see people through walls. Yeah. Uh, Steve, you posted this news article. I didn't get a chance to read it. So do you want to walk me through kind of exactly? I understand like the concept of, yeah. uh, of yeah. essentially echolocation through, you know, uh, electro it, wavelength, you know, digital processing, right. but yeah, this actually isn't a new thing. Uh, they, they've actually found a way of tracking movement with just cell signal. I mean, not, I mean, yes, they do, but like, like actual where they were, uh, through signals and with Wi-Fi, they were able, I think a couple years ago to kind of track basic movement with Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. but now they've actually gone it down to the point of almost 3d modeling. And uh, you can see from the picture there, uh, you know, movement, their hands, what they're doing type of stuff to see what people are actually doing. Um, and surprisingly enough, they even say that, hey, this is kind of a good thing for for privacy um, in the sense that, OK, do you want to know if there's somebody, you know, leaving the room, but you don't want to know who it is or something like that? Or or like, you know, you're just you want someone to monitor whether somebody with Alzheimer's is, is getting up and leaving the house or mm -hmm. something like that. Um, stuff like that, I guess, is in a sense, it's good, but it's just kind of um, crazy to me how what they can do with these Wi-Fi signals and, and track just exactly, you know, with and there, some and there, kind of exactness. There might be something to that from a privacy standpoint, because I, while I'm very pro camera on my property, I, ha I mm -hmm. have security cameras all around my house. I can see basically every angle, mm -hmm. everything of interest. Um, I don't have any cameras in my house because right. You don't want people no. peeking in. You, you got kids. You don't want, you know, people. I've but this me. this fixes if, that. If, if I get up to run to the kitchen naked for 30 seconds yeah. in the middle, I yeah. don't even want to see that on replay. Like, good right. God. <laughs> yeah. Um, but something like this will show the outline of somebody doing something. My kids sleep downstairs. Something. It's fine. Right. right? But, yeah. but yeah, it, it's like, you know, I will frequently, like, if the dog wakes up in the middle of the night and has to go outside, it's like... I'm not going to get dressed and go do that. I'll just walk out into yeah. the garage and out you go. Let him go. Yeah, yeah there you go. Right. Yeah. Let me know when you're done. <laughs> I'll be so here. This, this kind of fixes that. You can still see the movement. You can still see what's going on, but you can't see who it is and you can't see details. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's 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 kind of good for like, you know, even When do we third... combine this with the airport 3D scanners? <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they need to get, they need to, the, the airport scanners need to get intimate. That's how they make their extra money. Right. Selling those pictures on the side. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, this is essentially using LIDAR based technology, but without lasers or radar right. type technology. This is just using uh refraction of uh, radio waves being generated by Wi-Fi. And if you know the frequency that you're broadcasting, 
then you mm -hmm. know the reflections that should be normal within a room. And mm -hmm. uh, they've actually done like building mapping with Wi-Fi yeah. signals. Like, yeah, they have. Fairly accurate building mapping with Wi-Fi yeah. signals. Um, and then this is basically taking that mapping information and seeing where does the signal get blocked because the human body is darn good at absorbing and blocking radio waves mm -hmm. in specific frequencies and 2.4 and 5 gigahertz happen to be a couple of those frequencies. Um, so yeah, this is just basically an evolution of that type of technology. Yeah. And, and it kind of is, I mean, yes, it, it can, it can help with tracking tracking people are, are monitoring a certain area without invading privacy type of stuff. I mean, I guess to a point. <laughs> uh, Still. They're trying to find out how many single people are actually in your area. <laughs> <laughs> That's how the counters work on those. That's how they know. That's how they know. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. Uh, the porn app so they can target ads when you're alone. Um, oh, yeah. There you go. Yep. Yeah. I've seen myself <laughs> naked. I wouldn't want to inflict that on anyone. Porn app <laughs> sends out a pulse to see if you're alone. You know, that could be a value add. Oh, yeah. There you go. Right. <laughs> Water blocks Wi-Fi. So does thick concrete. I know I used to work in an aquarium. Yeah. Uh, no, a lot of things block Wi-Fi. Um, especially when you get into higher frequencies, yeah. uh, five gigahertz Wi-Fi is blocked by all kinds of things like oh yeah, drop ceiling tiles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, while five gigahertz is definitely faster and is definitely uh, the way to get the fastest speeds on Wi-Fi, unless you're going like Y gig or sixty gigahertz yeah, or something like that. It doesn't have the same reach. It doesn't yeah. have the same penetration power because yeah. it's a narrower bandwidth. And if it can't get that 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 amplitude, or sorry, that frequency through an object like a ceiling you're tile, or mm -hmm. there's actually a physical shape to Wi-Fi waves, and. Uh, and that shape and that frequency and the power of that frequency will determine if it's able to penetrate certain objects, uh, as will the reflections that it generates. And so, trust me, I used to deploy Wi-Fi professionally. <laughs> like, um, oh, and I also used to work in an aquarium. So there you go. Little known fact. Why can't I find AMD servers on eBay? Uh, number one, you don't want Opterons. Number two, uh, a lot of the Epic-based servers seem to get uh, parted out first. So they go all Java on them and then uh, and then sell the individual components. And so you're much more likely to find an SP3 motherboard and an Epic you know, yeah. 7001 or 7002 based CPU instead of finding like a full Xeon server. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's just a lot more Xeon servers than there are AMD Epic servers. Uh, mm -hmm. Deployment is still 95 to 5%. Uh, and it's going to be that way for a while still, because AMD is still, is still fighting the scale and volume 
while they have a competitive product, if someone says, cool, I'll take 80,000 of those, they go, that'll be eight uh, months. And Intel goes yeah. like, I have those on the shelf. How many again? 80,000? Yeah, done. Um, it's just a matter of scale. And, and AMD still isn't quite there when it comes to fab production. Uh, how many jobs have you had, Jeff? A lot. And I've had a lot of interesting jobs. Uh, Rhett has had far more varied and interesting jobs than I have, but I've had some decent ones. Um, I was a uh, dive tender uh, at, at an aquarium. And what that means mm -hmm. is I supervised uh, aquarium divers going into the aquarium to clean things up and i would take care of all the logs i would take care of all the equipment i would supervise them while they were in the water and and give aid if necessary i would help them get in and out of the water mm -hmm. um, i would be their eyes and ears from uh this is in the newport aquarium and i worked in the tunnels a lot and so oh yeah uh the those are actually like 30 foot deep tanks and uh and actually required some uh some relay and so we would have like radios that we would communicate with the divers on and go like no no no, you need to get down under here there's a little thing down there that we need to clean up or this or that um the shark puked up over here yeah the shark threw <laughs> well that was open water and that was that was uh its own procedures and and things that had to go into that because you could never have fewer than three divers in the open water tank uh mm -hmm. and that's because we had Full on, uh, a lot of people call them tiger sharks. They weren't tiger sharks because tiger sharks would have killed the divers. Uh, a lot of them were leopard sharks and six and seven gill sharks. And those are the big ones that swim around on top. And then underneath yeah. that, we would have some of the, uh, the pin nose sharks, the dog sharks, the things like that. Yeah. Um, and sharks work on a hierarchy uh, of the higher you are in the water, the batter ass you are and so <laughs> the divers actually had an area that was about a 10 foot about 10 10 by 10 by 10 uh tank that they would get into that had an inlet to get into the shark tank the deeper they go deeper uh, areas right exactly and so uh yeah. and that was also 30 feet deep but it was also like 70 by 50 like it was a massive massive piece of water and uh uh, the protocol was that one diver gets into the water and they have the only armament that we had, the only defense that we had against the sharks, which was a PVC pipe wrapped in duct tape. <laughs> yeah. um, Lord of the Fly style. <laughs> well, well, something about the pattern. And so it was basically just like a spiral pattern of duct tape. And so it was duct tape and white and duct tape and white. As you look up, it kind of like a candy cane. Mm -hmm. And uh, that pattern sent to the animals i'm poisonous i'm venomous i'm i'm aggressive Danger, yeah. i will yeah. i will hurt you if you try to attack me kind of thing hmm. now you're in their environment not the other way around and so right. it is very much the opposite but that pvc pipe meant you meant business kind of thing uh, and so there were never fewer than three divers in the shark tank and you would get them all into the the small 10 by 10 and then you would open the gate and let them into the other area and the rule was you don't swim around on top because that's where the aggressive sharks are at who want to establish dominance, who want to prove that they're the biggest and baddest thing in that tank. And mm. uh, so you get into there and you immediately dive 
to between 20 and 30 feet. And that's where all the cleaning needs to happen anyway, is down near the floor. Yeah, and no so, one cares what the funny stuff. And so you would get you would get out the vacuum and you'd vacuum the bottom of the tank and get all the fish crap vacuumed up and whatnot. Um and uh and then you'd get the divers back out of the water, and the whole time, the only job of the the guy holding the PVC pipe is to stand there and if any shark gets near, just like push the PVC pipe pipe towards him and kind of kind of play like a zone defense kind of thing yeah while the other two are working and and me as a dive tender i'm there coordinating and and like okay like that section's good enough move on to the next one oh you've got you've got a seven gill who's dropped about 10 feet over here make sure you got eyes on him kind of thing um that was one of my jobs and it was really fun um uh no other job have i been able to sit in a lawn chair and pet a seal while (laughs) While you're working Yeah. Uh, seals are just giant dogs. They're, they're hilarious. They're very, very fun, very intelligent. Um, and, uh, so I had divers in the water one time cleaning the seal exhibit and the seals would come up and I'd be sitting in a lawn chair and they'd come up and they'd sit right next to me. And so I'd pet them and they'd nuzzle against me and things just like a dog, but then they'd jump in the water and they would start playing pranks on the divers uh (laughs) they would like grab a hold of the tank and ride the divers as they're going through the water uh they would uh they would rip the mask off divers sometimes (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of not a nice prank but they they think it's fun to watch them blow bubbles (laughs) yeah they would run by yeah um but uh yeah that was a really interesting job i i really enjoyed doing that yeah, that's a way more interesting job than I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I used to be a CNC machinist. I, I was a CNC machinist for almost two years, mm-hmm. um, which is why I do so well with doing like the laser cutting and 3D design work and things like that. Is I, I yeah. learned a lot of those things in that job. Now, that was all the way back in like 2006. Um, yeah, it's but, come a long uh, way since then. It, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go into the math. Like I yeah. really don't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, 2006, 2007, 2008, I I worked as a CNC machinist and uh um worked on a 9 axis 6 foot by 12 foot CNC machine. Like this thing had some serious balls. Oh yeah. Uh, and uh our bread and butter was we made wood floor vents. And so oh, yeah. if you've ever bought a wood floor, we made every accessory to go with that wood floor with every type of wood. Um, so we made stair treads and stair rails, but our bread and butter was wood floor vents. Uh, and, and they were to match whatever custom three quarter inch floor you would buy. Um, and uh, that was also a really fun job because if you've ever... We we regularly stocked like 70 species of wood, but sometimes we would have some super custom orders for like million and, you know, half billion right. dollar houses and things like that. And someone would approach me and give me a plank about this big and, you go, that? <laughs> and go, I need two eight inch by 10 inch vents cut out of this. This is the only sample of this wood in this hemisphere. <laughs> okay yeah please do that for me and no pressure do not screw this one up yeah <laughs> so yeah 
Speaking of lasers, how's the water bottle project going? I finally got boxes in to ship everything. And we finally got shipping quotes back. Um, I'm hoping, I know I've said this a couple of times, but I mean it this time. I'm hoping on Friday invoices go out to at least the U.S. peeps, if not uh, international. So um, I do need to contact someone in Australia because I'm looking at putting a large box together and then someone have someone cross-ship other orders. So if you're one of my Australian patrons, I might be reaching out to see if you'd be willing to do that because I think we had something like eight or 12 Australian orders. And I really don't want to pay 12 times shipping on, on that box. I'd rather oh, that, just send yeah. one large box and then have it disseminated from there. That's via, a lot of dollar abuse. Right. That, that's, I think I got a quote back and it was like $65 to ship one bottle. Oh my God. Or like yeah. Just do a whole bunch. Ship them all. Yeah. And so yeah. I think yeah, yeah. I'm just going to have everyone share that's a no cost. Yeah, and that's then a no whoever decides to ship out the bottles locally, your bottle and your shipping is free. Like I'll 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 cover that as far as my shipping and handling, and then you can send out to everyone else. Like we'll make a deal, we'll make it work. So yeah, I've had a lot of fun jobs. <laughs> yeah. No, the most interesting job I've had was working for a BBS. And uh <laughs> I think I told you the story before. Yes. But yeah, at first. First, I got there. It was it was the dream job because I got to download games and then play them and then write up a quick synopsis of them and post them on the BBS. Yep, and, and also then, you had a flatbed scanner. Yes, and and with that flatbed scanner, I tore out pages of porn from porn magazines and scanned them in. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> yep. <laughs> one of Steve's first jobs was yes, one to of my first tech pirate jobs. porn magazines. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> Which I just love <laughs> as a job description. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they hooked they hooked me and it's like, oh yeah, you'll just be you'll be downloading games and playing them and all this shareware and interacting with the community about games and like, dude, this is awesome. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Oh, by the way, you'll also be scanning in a pile of Pirated porn. <laughs> Your job is to once a week go down to 7 yeah. Eleven and buy all of the magazines and oh, yeah. individually razor the pages out and then compile them into PDFs but to. They they acquired the magazines for me, which, okay. was, which okay. was good. But yes, I did have to get a, an X Acto knife and cut them out. And and uh, man, <laughs> they, they after, soon after I left that job, they did get sued. They got sued, I think, specifically from Penthouse and Playboy because they found some of their copyright images on their BBS. Nice. <laughs> Scanning historical documentation. Yes. We're just we're just an archival we're service. We're an archival service. We're archiving your, your pictures for free. Yeah. We're doing it for you as a service. LOL, that's old school. Um, yeah. No, it was old school. Trust me. <laughs> very, very old school. Yeah. A lot of people don't know quite how old you actually are. And you don't have to say a number, but it's... It, it's a fair decent amount between yeah. me and John. Yeah, it is. <laughs> like Rhett's the baby of the group, and I've got. Oh no, he's very good. Yeah, I've, I've got a, a a good amount on him, but then then it's me and John kind of like right there neck and neck. Yeah. So just just the, just a, a tell a difference. Uh, I am I am uh, the third oldest in our family. So mm -hmm. there's I have older brother, older sister. Then there's me. I have a younger brother, younger brother, younger sister, and then the youngest is John. Yeah. So I'm the third oldest. So there's a, a bit of a gap there. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no PDFs in those days. Yeah, no. It no, was all, no, no. We didn't have PDFs. Yeah, it was all it was all yeah. JPEG. Not even ebook or you know EPUB. Like, I don't even think uh, was. I don't even think it was. Uh, I think JPEGs were were just starting to be used. Was frequently. it GIFs still? It was. It was a lot of GIFs and uh, uh, bitmaps was still pretty oh, high, yeah, but they were so okay. Okay. They were so big because it's a BBS. So GIFs were were preferable. Yeah, it, no, it they would have been smaller. bitmap if you wanted sixteen bit color. Yes, if you want a higher color, it yeah. was bitmap, low resolution, uh, and if you wanted like well, a you're bigger taking me back to the line by line loading. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is BBS times. This right. is I, not. I remember yeah. <laughs> BBS. Like I, I'm also not that far from you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I, I had a number of BBS memberships. I, I had yeah. a couple one, three, three, seven memberships. Mm -hmm. Like I, I'm, I'm not foreign to the concept. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully they're gone now. Cause man, <laughs> but yeah, they were fun while they lasted. Yeah. Couple of quick beer notes here on the show. New Belgium is redesigning flat tire Amber ale into a completely different beer. Now, is it a completely different beer altogether or are they just redesigning the logo um i believe they're redes uh yeah the new fat tire ale is easy drinking with medium body crisp finish and a deep gold color uh they are reimagining fat tire ale okay so it's gonna taste different then yes which i'm i'm willing to try because i as much as people like fat tire i'm not a fat tire fan i never really liked that overly biscuity flavor that it has at the end yeah I, I i can see that um i will say fat tire is one of the the main uh first tastes into craft yes. beer for yes. a lot of oh people. yeah definitely yeah yeah um, and and at a party and if there was like all bud and bud light and they also had fat tire, they had a fat I'll still tire take or or they had a, a blue moon or something like that oh yeah i'll, yeah, yeah. I'll still take one i'll take those yeah um blue moon and deschutes black beet porter were my introductions oh, yeah. into craft beer i i still like a good black beet porter mm -hmm. to be honest i think mm -hmm. there's a reason it's so good mm -hmm. <laughs> um it is a very solid solid uh, porter yeah but yeah uh fat tire amber amber ale is being reimagined as a golden blonde ale uh oh, well then i'm willing to try it which which i'm I'm sad to see Fat Tire go. It wasn't a bad beer by any means. Um, and, uh, you know, New Belgium has kind of a reputation of, you know, mm -hmm. Belgian style, style ales and whatnot. And they did a mm -hmm. pretty decent job, especially for as large of a distributor as they are. Oh, yeah. Their trip bell is actually quite decent. Yes. I, I kind of really like it. Yes. Um, but... Uh, yeah, the, them canceling Fat Tire Amber entirely and bringing it back as a blonde, that's kind of a big move. Yeah. I wonder if just the sales of it were going down yeah. because it's been around for so long. People are like, ah, you know what? So many new options, so many different things, so much better things out there. Yeah. And and like all things, you know, flavor profiles and and change, preferences yeah. do change over the years. They do. And, they do. And you, we've seen this with just the comings and goings of different beer styles um from you know the the 
late 2010s craze of hazies to all of a sudden yeah. they kind of refined what that should be and now they're a little mm -hmm. bit juicier and a little bit oh yeah a little bit less acidic and, yeah. and more drinkable and and whatnot and what's the next craze going to be like sours were the big thing for a while yeah um, they do uh but they say the new fat tire ale is easy drinking with a medium body crisp finish and a deep gold color the brewery goes on to say the drinkers quote will clearly recognize the original fat tire flavor when tasting the new recipe but also notes that many are telling us they prefer a crisper brighter version and feel excited for this change mm -hmm. and i don't necessarily discredit that at all again i'm kind of sorry to see the amber ale go but getting getting out of that deeper and darker flavor profile may actually help fat tire reach more people and actually bring more Nobody people into the craft beer scene um especially people that are used to loggers and pilsners i mean if they're gonna go maybe they're gonna go new fat tire and then people are gonna hate it fat tire classic and, then, and they're gonna go fat tire classic <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> And then they'll make more because people are like, ah, I missed that tire classic. Let's right. go back. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen this in stores yet. Um, so yeah, I'm neither have I. Pretty soon. Yeah. Although I usually don't look out for fat tire because it's like, well, eh, it's, you yeah, know. I know. Yeah. It's exact it's the same thing what I think. Yeah. Uh, but if I see it out there, I will probably pick it up because I'm kind of curious. Yeah. In some other beer news, uh, Russian River Brewing is coming back to Seattle. Yes. You can get your uh, Pliny the Elder again back in Seattle. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, for those who have been looking for a, a Pliny the Elder for a... Uh, was it the culmination? What was the other one? Yeah. Supplication. The, uh, supplication. Uh, the the Happy happy Hops. Uh, Blind Pig is another one. That's yeah, pretty, yeah, yeah. pretty popular. Um. But yeah, uh, Plenty of the Elder is is their most well-known beer, I yeah. would say. Uh, so yeah, uh, right about 10 years ago, uh, Russian River announced that they were limiting their distribution. They were going back to Southern Cal, Nevada, Arizona, mm -hmm. and kind of like circling the wagons and going like, what made us popular in the first place? What made us desirable in the first place? And yeah. we're only going to distribute within a regional area. And... Uh, uh, it was kind of a good move for them because they were on the verge of bankruptcy for a little while. Uh, but they've they've done well enough that they're expanding their distribution back into Oregon and Washington. Yep. So if you are a Pliny the Elder fan, a Russian River fan in excuse me, in general, uh, yep. they're coming back. I am still looking for a Pliny the Younger. I, I still have not tried that. I've had Pliny the Elder several times. Uh, but plenty of the younger. That's a that's a seasonal release. That's very very hard to get a hold. Yes. Um, and I have I have um, a lot of places. They're just they just distribute tap houses, so you have to actually go to a tap house that has it. Yeah. Uh, and usually they're gone like really fast. So I have yet to find that. That's one of one of my beer bucket list things. So get the plenty of the younger. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, I'll definitely be on the lookout for it now because the, uh, and actually this corresponds to, uh, fart burp has a comment for us. Uh, do you guys buy <laughs> beer at the beer store or at a regular store? Yes. Both. Uh, but... Um, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm actually kind of surprised 
in the Pacific Northwest, because in our supermarkets, we they don't sell liquor. Right. right. We have to go to this particular liquor store. But our beer aisle for most stores is actually quite impressive. Um, they they do have limited releases there. I've seen yep. heck, there's a there's a couple thrift ways we've been to that actually have a tap house inside the grocery store itself. My my local grocer has a 16 tap system. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's so, it's it's not it's not small time. No. So, so yes, we, we actually have some pretty impressive, because I've been to grocery stores back east and, and, and places that actually sell liquor there, uh-huh. but their beer selection is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's like horrible. They got all kinds of booze there, but their beer selection is terrible. Yeah. We, we, here we, it's the opposite. Uh, Steve, you remember going to Vegas and going into that Kroger store and yeah. seeing like literally the two four foot sections of beer and that was it. And I was like, oh, this is sad. Yeah, this, this is, is this Now is they sad. had they had racks upon racks of liquor they had a full you know 20 by 20 foot section of the store that was just liquor and then they went craft beer and there's two four foot that was two four foot fridges and that was it um and everything else was bud coors miller you know etc um and uh yeah uh yeah, we're we're kind of we're kind of used to. It. I mean, yes, don't get me wrong. If we go to a specialty bottle shop like John's Marketplace, mm-hmm. that's the place to go because that's just a ton of it. Yeah. But you don't have to go far to get decent beers at a grocery. Usually, our grocery store will have some some decent right. beer there. Yeah, uh, my grocery store has sixteen on tap that you can buy growlers or you can buy a pint while you shop. Like it's yeah. it's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. And they also have a beer aisle, which only. Three of the twelve or so uh, four-foot uh, fridge containers yeah. uh, are domestic beer. The rest are yeah. all craft and cider. Yeah, most. Yeah, I see that a lot. Um, so yeah, the entire aisle is nothing but craft beer. Craft beer. Yeah. Um, I've also got a store that is fairly close to me in Salem. Uh, used to be called Capital Market. It's under new ownership. I forget oh, yeah, yeah. the name of it right it. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Capital Market has essentially two full aisles of a uh, left side, right side, and then left side, right side again of nothing uh, but craft. Northwest craft beer. Yeah. And and a couple, couple other, you know, out-of-state stuff. Uh, but uh, you'll pay for it. <laughs> but, yeah. But oh yeah. There. But yeah, yeah, it's there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's we can go both places. It doesn't mm-hmm. really matter here. Um yeah, in, yeah, I in, know I, in the Portland area, John's Marketplace, definitely the place definitely to go. The place Just off the Rilliger. Yeah. Uh yeah. great, great beer store. Uh actually I think John's Marketplace has three locations now. That's right. Yeah. They just opened one in the Beaverton area, I believe. Yeah. They need to come to Salem. They really need to come to Salem. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> Be I'm nice, getting right? really tired about driving an hour to go get beer. To go to... <laughs> oh, but man, that's a that's quite the destination. Yes. Uh, in some Valve news, Valve Source Games are getting their assets leaked, revealing additional content never made yeah. public from Team Fortress 2, Portal, and yeah. more. Uh, again, yeah. Steve, this was one that you posted, uh, and you've read it a little bit more than i have yeah uh, anything uh, interesting like popping out oh yeah uh um yeah like early on assets uh, uh i don't know if anybody knows about the development cycle of tf2 it was like it went from three different whole designs and stuff like that 
uh, uh, Portal, not so much, but yeah, there was just like all of their assets were absolutely leaked. And, you know, since it's already well-established games, I don't think Valve is really caring too much about it. But uh, a lot of communities are actually putting up uh, servers with original designs of TF2 levels, of uh, original uh, characters. Uh, I think early on, they had experimented with every class had its own uh, specific type of grenade. Mm -hmm. Whereas like they, they did away with that, but that's all those assets and, and those models and all that code is, is in this leak. Um, I think Counter-Strike Source had quite a bit of early models and stuff in there too. So it's it's 61 gigs of just everything that they ever worked on. And then yeah. just like, now nah, we're not going to use this anymore. So it's very, really interesting. Some of the stuff that they have. Um, yeah, like that right there. That's the... the uh, Man versus machine, one of mm -hmm. the early models of the machines and stuff like that. So, you know, really, really neat stuff. And uh, the community is is using that to kind of uh, make retro versions of uh, the original designs of things. <laughs> Good God, <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. That's that's the worry of always like exploring things in real time on this show. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I think it's been leaked, and if you're really really super interested, you can find a link to it and grab all 61 gigs of it yourself and start digging through all the yeah. assets. Yeah, I'm I'm always of two minds about leaks. Uh, if it's a a leak of a product that is still in development, in development. or yeah, that's or in bad. wide production, that should not be touched. Like, let's be yeah. real. But leaks of like the the ocarina of time source code or things like right like things that are like 20 years old or even you do, yeah. you go into team fortress 2 and you go like well it's a decade old at this point yeah it's yeah. still a current title that people play but let's be real this isn't hurting steam in any way shape or form no it's no, no. interesting for the for the purposes of game preservation for the purposes mm -hmm. of learning how game development worked back then yeah. and yeah. seeing the ideas that eventually came to fruition. Like there, mm -hmm. there's a lot of educational value in a lot of that stuff. And, uh, and I am fully on board with the game preservation and source code preservation projects that are, that are out there. Um, so uh, I'm kind of behind this one now. How yeah. it's obtained? I, I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know either. Um, I, I, I know that um, Valve just just by reading about how their development cycle used to work, um, that they were very very compartmentalized. You know, people were like given the opportunity to work with what they wanted to work on, and a lot of times they weren't really strict on how you did that. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's probably why there was like a lot of just assets that were made, and they they kind of threw it all together and like, well, does this work? No, this doesn't work. And right. That's that's probably why there's a ton of that stuff out there. And that could also be why maybe it got leaked because he got all this stuff laying around. Yep. Uh, and if it was all compartmentalized, maybe it's not as protected as it was. I have mm -hmm. no idea. But yeah, like you said, it's 10 years old. It's old stuff. Yeah. It's just more fascinating than anything. Yeah. Uh, and in a lighter bit of news, uh, this one is absolutely hilarious to me, even though I've been married for... <laughs> <laughs> years years um, years years me too you are the one friend in my circle 
who has been married longer than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and good God, I, I'm at 17 years this year. Oh yeah. That's good though. I, it's That's really good. good. Like, yeah. no, I, I don't poo-poo that at all. I'm just saying yeah. like, holy crap, I've been married a long time and you're the one mm. friend that I have who's That's been married longer. longer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, so I don't necessarily relate to this today, but I can also chuckle at the idea of it. And that is that the Toronto Zoo has come up with a rather unique fundraiser in that you can donate $25 to name a cockroach after your ex. <laughs> I love this idea. I, I think it's this hilarious. Yeah, this is a great idea. <laughs> And yes, I'm still bitter and may be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's that cockroach's name? Oh, Rebecca. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's that cockroach? Candy the stripper? Oh, okay. That makes yeah, sense. yeah. <laughs> yeah, for a $25 donation, quote, you can dedicate a creepy crawly to that someone who did you no good. <laughs> Uh, in turn, you will receive a digital certificate personalized with your name and the roach's name, a shareable digital graphic to spread the word, and a full charitable <laughs> tax receipt for your donation. Hey, this is $25 well spent. That's a $25 I, just $25. Yeah, yeah. It's a write-off on top of it. Yeah. Man, that's a, that's a full-fledged service right there, I tell you. <laughs> I absolutely love this idea. <laughs> <laughs> I think more zoos should adopt it. We need, this we need, this we need feels local. like the punctuation to the end of a bad relationship. It's like, yeah, I never want to see you again. Oh, yeah, I named a cockroach after you. <laughs> now the world's going to know. Don't <laughs> test me. <laughs> uh, Joe says, LOL, I'm 42 and been married 22 years. Close. Yeah, I'm close. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little higher than that, but yep, yep. <laughs> uh, where are you at, Steve? Like Year, years married? Number of years, yes. At twenty-four. Twenty-four. Okay, yeah, yeah. We're I, almost I, at twenty-five. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, then I'm second in my circle of friends at sixteen, almost seventeen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think John is right after me. I think John's like fifteen yeah. years or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and then there's all my other friends at like twelve, ten, nine. <laughs> Rookies. Rookies. Ah, kind of pump those numbers up. Right. <laughs> rookie numbers. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we got a couple of minutes. If there's any yeah. any pressing questions, any uh, any exes you want to name a cockroach after here on the show, you can oh, do yeah. that for just Absolutely a, a $2 that. super chat. Like, I'll, <laughs> I'll name a cockroach after your ex. I got to go find one. That's going to be we the got, problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, surprisingly here in Oregon, we don't get that many cockroaches. I mean, not like giant ones. We get the little tiny ones. Yep. How young is you or him? Uh, I, I'm of the theory I don't like to disclose ages. And so all I can <laughs> tell you is I've been married for almost 17 years, and you can do math from there, okay? I'm in my 40s somewhere. Yeah. Somewhere in there. I'm I'm still 30s. Mm-hmm. Ish. Ish. <laughs> <laughs> Emacs or Vim? Uh, Nano. Oh. Uh, I will say Vim is cool, and I don't discredit the 
uh, the people who use Vim, but I really hate the people that think Vim is the only tool and you're a noob if you don't use it. Because oh, yeah. sometimes I just need to edit a line of text. Other times right. I need it to keep track of all my changes, have cut and paste ability, have, have line counters and everything else. Let's just calm down, okay? <laughs> like, sometimes I'm doing C++, sometimes I'm doing Python. <laughs> okay? Oh, yeah. Uh, how to cool my AM5. So, Tats computing hot to... What? <laughs> I, I think someone stroked out while typing. Are, are, are you okay? Do you need to see a doctor? <laughs> But Emacs for dev work, uh, again, I don't care what you develop in as long as the product is good. And we shouldn't put so much emphasis on tools. I've never approached my my roof, you know, people and said like, oh, you're using Ryobi? Get the hell off my roof. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Can Goodbye. you imagine doing that to someone? What is that, a lift pack, Jack? Get off my lawn. Yeah. Like. Get real. The, the, use the tool you're comfortable with. And and if you need it, and if you use it, and it works for you, awesome. If there's something that you're more efficient with, that's great too. Maybe I'm not, but that doesn't discredit me as, as a programmer, as a scripter, as whatever else. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm a terrible programmer, as Steve will attest to. Like, Oh, yeah. Um, I, use, I use Visual Studio. Just Visual Studio is fine. There's nothing wrong with it at all. Right, because yeah. the things that he does requires Visual Studio. And so yeah. there you go. We're, we're all C-sharp shop right. where I work, and that's what we use. Uh, my friend wants to know if Jeff tried old style and if so, ever found everything on the can or not old style old style. What? What? Is that, does he mean old fashioned? I don't, I don't know what old style is. Old is that English? a beer? Yeah. I don't think there's a beer called old style. Yeah. Uh, you you got to elaborate a little bit more. Uh, Let's see. Powerkeeper says, I just picked up an old Precision T3610 workstation from my work. Do you think it's worth upgrading the internal CPU RAM and making it a home server like Proxmox? Uh, T3610. Let me take a look here. Oh, there is there is a beer called Old Style. Never it's, had Old Style by, beer. Yeah, I've never had it. It's by, it's, uh, by the same people who do um, Paps Blue Ribbon. Okay. Uh, T3610 is still using X79 based chipsets. So that is your Intel 26, uh, V0 or V1 or V2 CPUs. Um, definitely still has a little bit of life left in it. Um, I've, I've kind of left the C602 chipset behind and I've gone on to C612, uh, which is the X99 based chipset, the V3 and V4 CPUs, but there's really nothing wrong with, uh, with some of the higher core count ones. In fact, if you want to get uh, a 2696 or a 2699, they're actually really affordable for like 10, 12, 14 core CPUs on that platform. And absolutely, it'll work as a home server. Uh, it might not be as efficient as, as some of the more modern CPU releases, but at the same time, it gives you a ton of flexibility, and it's only DDR3, so RAM is stupid cheap right now. Mm. Um, absolutely. Uh, let me some C-sharp. 
Uh, old oh, style yeah, is a beer. Okay, yeah, he did qualify old style as beer. I've never had old style beer. I, I have. I had to look it up myself. I had never seen it before. Yeah, I have never. I've literally never seen that in the store. I wonder where they distribute. Yeah. Uh, AM five seventy nine hundred X. I think on Azrock Alpha Cool Ice Bar LT three sixty up on. Again, I'm really questioning the the health of my audience during this Q&A session. Um, <laughs> now, I've used an Alpha Cool Ice Bar uh, Solo, which is their pump and res and block combo. And that that is one that you attach to external blocks like GPU blocks or external radiators. And it's a, it's a standalone system just the side of an all-in-one uh, where it's a modular system. Um, uh, Ice Bar LT360, I believe, is their closed loop, but with quick disconnects. Let me verify. Alpha Cool Ice Bar 360 LT. Yes, yeah, it's got the quick disconnects on it. Um, I mean, it's a solid cooler. Uh, I, I don't think there's anything necessarily resoundingly special about it other than the fact that it's quick disconnect and if you wanted to like add a gpu into your loop you could um but it's it's very much of the ilk of an all-in-one liquid cooler but a 360 mil rad should be more than enough to cool a 7900x so there you go yeah uh five dollars chloe wants to say name the bug taylor uh i will indeed <laughs> name the next bug that i see taylor uh the, my question for you is, do you want me to kill him? The bug. The, the bug. bug, yeah, not Taylor. I, yeah. I, I, I want to make that perfectly clear. This is not a super chat for hits. Uh, for a couple bucks more, you can specify the method of, of destruction, too. Shoe, burn. But, shoe, foot, newspaper, yeah. BB <laughs> gun. Like, I got a lot of options. <laughs> Uh, Sopos Firewall seemed to be vulnerable art article on Ars Technica. Um, I'm going to have to look that up. I did not see any article therein about that. Um, that might be an interesting topic to dive into. Um, I used, uh, Sophos's home-based firewall for quite a while. Uh, simply because I found PF Sense to be a little bit cumbersome to set up and troubleshoot where Sophos was very straightforward, but it still had that pesky cloud connection with your Sophos account. And so maybe there's something to mm. that. Uh, I don't know, but, uh, it says I, it's uh remote code execution that's vulnerable to that. Some 4,000 Sophos devices. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, just for, just for their standalone devices. Yes, I think so, yeah. Okay, so I, I haven't really, Sophos I has kind of a couple of different this. options for their firewall. You can download it and run it as a standalone application, mm. very similar to PFSense, where it runs as a security appliance, and uh, you can run it on any hardware you want. You can set up any, any NICs, virtual or physical that you want, and uh, it does a pretty good job. Also has some pretty impressive logging capabilities and... Uh, really impressive security capabilities for, for like country blocking and uh, content filtering. It's a fantastic little service. Um, Sophos also sells first-party appliances, and I'm wondering if that's specifically what this is about. 
Um, yeah, that's what this there there was um looks like a, sometime September last year there was an issue with their with their with their code. Okay. Uh but this is uh something with appliances. Okay. So it um, might be something specifically with the appliance or with the software that comes on the appliance because they are slightly different because the appliances will have additional cloud tie-ins to your Sophos login to be able to monitor remotely and take care of hardware and software and firmware update yeah. issues and things like that. So maybe this is a specific issue with the with the Sophos appliance. Um, and, and that does make sense. Um, it's unfortunate that a security company goes through hard knocks like that, but it happens to the best of security companies. And, uh, you know, hopefully Sophos comes out the other side and does everything right by their customers and makes it all right. Uh, I myself was a Sophos client for a number of years. I sold Sophos to a number of different clients <laughs> that I serviced over the years. Uh, I don't think I ever sold any Sophos firewalls, but as far as antivirus and anti-malware, anti-ransomware uh, type services, man, they were one of the number ones on my list. Uh, so hopefully they're doing all right. Uh, Chloe says for $5, the shoe is sufficient. I got you. All right. There we go. I got you. I, I can handle that. <laughs> Is it okay to join for the question? What? Yes. Uh, I run a physical one and a software one. The physical one hasn't got the patch yet, so it's going offline. Okay, so it's sounding like it might be affecting both, but the physical ones require a different patch or something like that. Could be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that might be an interesting topic to tackle. Um, or I might shoot uh, uh, Tom Lawrence, Lawrence Tech, a uh a message and see if he's heard anything about that um because he tackles a lot of those uh those style smb small medium business style issues um so that might be a great story for him to to dive into um i i tend to stay away from a lot of firewall things because while i'm phenomenal at layer two i'm shite at layer three uh it's just my brain doesn't quite go all the way that it needs to go to get everything in layer three covered. Um, and, uh, and I don't consider myself an expert there. So I usually will defer to people who spend a lot more time in that department. Um, I, as a systems administrator had a guy for my firewall and, and I always like, this is a firewall issue. This is all on you. You figure out how to do it mm -hmm. and I will implement the change. But you tell me that much like let, there is a limit to my knowledge and there is the limit to the things that I want to learn and and actively use day to day and honestly with all the VM stuff that I have in my brain I I couldn't fit layer three in there as well <laughs> just can't just can't cram it in there right oh it can be this IP address or this IP address oh. and any physical port I don't understand yeah yeah <laughs> you try to tram that in there something else is going to leak out the other side so you just did right right I mean, and in my case, it'd probably be my like my second kid's birthday. It's like I don't yeah, it's need like, that I have no idea. I don't in my know. life right now. <laughs> you can deal with PF Sense and yeah. and Sonic Wall issues. I will deal with making sure my kids are happy. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, let's see. Anything else, or is that mm. about gonna do us? Uh, I don't see anything else. No. No. All right, I think we're good. 
Yeah. Cool. Call it. Well, this has been episode 268 here on Talking Heads. Thank you all so much for joining us on this Wednesday night or in podcast form over on Anchor.fm or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. Also join us on Craft Extra over on YouTube for specific clips and snippets of this episode. If you like this video, make sure to hit that thumbs up button. Subscribe to Craft Computing if you haven't done so already. Follow me on Mastodon at craftcomputing at hostux.social. Follow Steve if you're brave enough to find where he lives. Uh, you know you what? Can you can follow me by, make, by... You need to make just like a Mastodon account and just like, hey, I'm on social medias now, even though... There we go. <laughs> even though I know you have been for years, but it's kind of a fun I... joke. I don't, yeah, I, I don't advertise most on, on right. in fact, I kind of stopped using a lot of social media, to be quite honest. I, I, I'm kind of right there. Like, my job <laughs> is social media. Yeah, I know. All I do is Twitter and Mastodon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've kind of abandoned Facebook altogether. I just find it to be Oh, I did that trash. years ago. Yeah, I, my I, I kind of. is so much better. I kind of still use it for because like my family still uses it for coordinating gatherings and stuff like that. And that's about the limit of what I use it for. So um, I had this conversation earlier with a friend of mine that uh, me and my wife have never had joint accounts for anything. And again, we've right. been married for 16, yeah. almost 17 years. Like we've gone so cool. through the rise and fall of Facebook, the rise and fall mm -hmm. of Twitter. We've, mm -hmm. we've gone through the rise and fall of like every social media ever. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've never had a shared account for anything. Yeah, and I've never had a shared one for social media. I was always <laughs> the early adopter. In fact, I signed up for Facebook when it was still like just colleges. Right. Even though I was in college, I still. I, I did join shortly thereafter under threat of like, we're not going to invite you to anything by all of my college friends. Right. And right. so it's like, okay, I need an account. Yeah, I'll, I'll be on there. And yeah, I was on there for a while and, and whatnot and posted a decent amount of things, but it was never a primary social media outlet for me. And uh, anymore, everyone knows if, you're going to invite us to a social gathering, reach out to my wife because you will yeah. never contact never me on Facebook. <laughs> I yeah. never check it. The yeah. only reason I'm on Facebook is to browse cheap cars on Facebook Marketplace. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Facebook Marketplace is the worst. But that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> yes. It is terrible. Yeah. It's better than Craigslist anymore, and that's really sad. Yeah, I know that is really sad. I mean, Craigslist could still be the dominating sales kind of online poster ad type space if they innovated, but their 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 website still looks like it's made in like 1990. It, and it has <laughs> a certain charm, and I don't dislike does. that from a click here, get information you want. And right. and one on their search is not terrible either. No. And so the website itself is for most intents and purposes fully functional. It doesn't look yeah. great. And and actually I kind of like it that way, where it's it's no fuss, show me the ads and just get me in there. That's um, like the one ads of old. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, yeah. It's seriously like browsing a classified section in a newspaper and, and I'm right at home there. Yeah. Um but uh yeah, the problem is with a lot of Craigslist ads is kind of the same thing that befell eBay is they're trying to make everything this forgotten treasure. Every item that mm. you look at is like pulled out of a basement from 20 years ago. Yeah. You remember yeah. this from your childhood. And I want $4,200 for this like, no, out Honda that. CRX with no engine. Yeah. And, and you're like, <laughs> 
No. Remember when non-running cars were $500 and running with issues were a thousand? Yeah. You can't find a running car on Craigslist for less than $3,500 anymore. And it's really pathetic. And, and so I've, I've gone to, to, to Facebook marketplace looking for, um, my goal in the next couple of years is to do an electric conversion on something or something even crazier and do, uh, like a super efficient engine conversion on something to get like 70 miles the gallon. Something, something old and classic. And something like old conversion. and classic and good looking. But at the mm-hmm. same time, it's like, it doesn't have to run fast. I don't even care if it does 70. I just want to get like the most gas mileage possible. Out of it. Yeah. That's yeah. my goal. That'd be kind of fun. And, kind of uh, and so I'm, I'm kind of shopping around for a project like that. And uh, man, there is just nothing on Craigslist. Everyone, you will find rolling chassis that are rotted and rusted to the floor for like they're still going for a couple grand yeah it's like are you kidding me you will find 2011 chevy sparks for eleven thousand dollars like the (laughs) car in 2011 was 12 wasn't even worth that much yeah Mm -hmm. and i know inflation's a bit of a thing lately but Good God. That's ridiculous. That's a little bit too much. Right. That car is 4000 on a good day right now. <laughs> 170,000 miles. Don't lowball me. I know what I got. Yeah, you have a 2011 <laughs> Chevy Spark. Get over yourself. Anyway, that's my rant to anyway, the show. There we go. Thank you all so much for watching. As always, we will see you next Wednesday. See you guys. Cheers, everyone.